Kingpins, Killers and Ninja Turtles, welcome to another edition of Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast that is proudly hashtag no gatekeeping, where we throw the doors open and welcome every single person into the Marvel universe. It's a unique podcast where a man who has never read a comic book before in his life re-watches the Marvel movies and then quizzes a lifelong Marvel expert on all the characters, the stories and the history that he's just seen unfold before his eyes. Hello and welcome to the episode. My name is Rob Holden, comedian, writer and the Marvel expert part of the equation. And I'm joined on the podcast by the man that makes it all possible through his ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. How are you, Will? Proud to be here, proud to be sucking the intelligence out of the room with my ignorance. It's what I'm built for, Rob. It's what I'm built for. That's another great t-shirt, Will Preston. Built for ignorance. There's built just for, I thought you meant the actual t-shirt week. I'm wearing. I'm wearing a t-shirt no. that says, who loves orange soda? Cause yeah, but Nickelodeon references from 20 years ago, not going to play in this market, baby. You've got to update. <laughs> You've got to be shifting your own merch. I think maybe that's the next step. For Marvel mm. vs. Marvel. We should get some merch on sale. What do you guys think yes. out there? Um, I like. We've, uh, we've had some fantastic successes with Marvel vs. Marvel, including being featured on BBC Radio as a highlight to watch. Not watch. You can't watch us. As a highlight to listen to during Ooh, lockdown. Yes. Um, and I, think, I think we're just going to keep going from strength to strength if the numbers are anything to go by. The, the, the reception... The emails, the messages, the Patreon subscriptions that keep flooding in. I think we, uh, we're in this for a long haul, Will. I don't think we can get out of this one for a good couple of years. This is going to be the most entertaining jail sentence ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is starting to feel a bit like uh, a marriage of some description. I'm kind of glad we, we've switched to the twice-a-month schedule. You know, Well, actually, three times a month with the bonus episodes. Uh, I was about to say that almost sounded like a marriage then. The twice a month schedule sounded <laughs> like a marriage. <laughs> yeah, th- three three times a month is not a marriage. There's no way there's no way you're getting it three times a month with the marriage. Um but uh, of course if you sign up to the Patreon, you can get it three times a month. Uh we yeah. we we've had um, some fantastic fun. We started this podcast focusing entirely on the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Movies, the Universe that began in 2008 with Iron Man. And then we did a little dancing. Oh, we did a little dancing. We went over to Blade back in 1998. Yep. We uh, we took a, a swing by Spider-Man. We played with the X-Men. Um, and last in the last episode, we went back, all the way back to uh, the beginning of the, of the Marvel comic book universe by exploring mm. the 2005 movie um, Fantastic Four. Featuring the very first set of um, what we call Marvel Age characters that, that came about in the 1960s. And we saw how that played, that movie, 2005, that very sanitized, very family friendly movie coming out weeks and months after um, <laughs> the DC offering Batman Begins really changed the game in terms of what people wanted from superhero movies. It's very interesting, I think, that we find ourselves now uh, with 2003's Daredevil, which, of course, predates Batman Begins, 
yep. but in many ways is a almost just as dark, if not a much darker offering. Um, yeah, incredibly. We've got incredibly. that before us, which is very exciting. Um, mm. And what I'm interested to know, Will, as I am each and every time we come together here in this cathedral known as Marvel, <laughs> I want to go into the mind of the muggle. I want to peek inside the muggle brain. And I want to find out what did you... So, to take a step back, just to let me talk for another hour before I let you talk, uh, <laughs> in, with quite a lot of the movies that we, we, we spend time on, including the Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four had like three or four comic book uh, cartoon series mm. out there for the general public outside of comic books before yeah. the movie came out. Um, and what I would want to do now is just to, to see Daredevil doesn't have any of that. There aren't, there's not a CBS live-action TV series, although there is an appearance, a one-off appearance, in an episode of The Incredible Hulk. Um, oh! Yeah, Matt Murdock first graced the screens in the 1970s in the trial of The Incredible Hulk, playing Matt Murdock, the defense attorney that defends Mr. Bruce, uh, David Banner, sorry, um, as he is in the, in the series, on trial. He's dressed all in black, uh, no red whatsoever, um, but that's his first appearance. That's that TV series is, of course, also the first appearance of Marvel's Thor. Um, yes, but not. It's kind of more the Norse Thor than it is the Marvel Thor. But from the clip I saw, I don't yeah, imagine... it looked like that. It looks like yeah. Norse Thor. I don't imagine though that that's something that played into your mind. It, nor did it really with a lot of the general public. Mm. It certainly. I mean, it was, I think, meant to act as a what they call a backdoor pilot, which is where you uh, you don't commission a full pilot. You use the episode of an already popular TV series to introduce a character and a premise uh, to operate as a sneaky backdoor pilot, and then you judge <laughs> the popularity and spin it off into its own TV show. I think that's what they were hoping with a both crypto Thor pilot and yeah, yeah and uh, Daredevil. It didn't come to be so. With that being said, did you have any awareness whatsoever, Will, of Daredevil? I'm I'm really uh, searching my mind with this one, and I'm going to say no. I had no idea who Daredevil was, and I think I was either starting college or just finishing school when this film came out. And it, and all I could think was, well, that's that that's Batman without a cape. <laughs> that looks like Batman without a cape. That's all I thought when I saw Daredevil. Based on this, on the trailers and, the, and this movie itself, Tra- trailers, posters. I didn't see the. F- Actually, this is the first time I I saw the film. Was watching it for mm. this podcast. I heard. I mean, I think I think the what stopped me watching because the the press around the time. And I always remember I got some issues of Mad Magazine, and there was an issue ripping into the film Daredevil. Uh, and, and, it, and it was funny, but it just made me feel like, oh, I, th- this is a film I don't want to see. This, 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 oh, really? this looks terrible. Yeah, uh, I, I, I had little desire to see it, even after watching uh, the fantastic Netflix TV show. Oh, well, that's. I, I don't, uh, we, we certainly get into that when we, we had a, a huge amount of comments talk about that, mm. which is. Um, and as I said previously, I think it's the, the the best adaptation of a comic book, or the most faithful, certainly. Um, mm. And and it's uh, it's a real 
it puts a different colour on this movie. It's difficult to watch this having watched that mm. and not compare and not compare the two. So a lack of awareness for you, Will, and I think that's also <laughs> reflected in the general public. Um, your yes, Joe yeah. Q average, your Joe Q public, your Joe mm-hmm. six-pack, uh, you're the guy who speaks for the people, the man on the street. Um, and I think that was certainly got to be in the minds of the movie makers when they were putting the film together. Yeah. Because was he a, a popular... Marvel comic book hero because I I didn't know about him it, which makes me question how popular a comic book character was he but how are, how are you how is anyone and unless it translates into a cartoon or a TV series or a movie yeah, how on earth true. are you going to know what have you I mean you, you could perhaps surmise from the 1990s X-Men cartoon series that they mm-hmm. were a very popular um, comic book but yeah. throughout the eight throughout the eighties, they were the most popular comic book, and they didn't get a cartoon series, you know. And mm. the, the, unless it translates into something on the mainstream, I think it's difficult. Um, I think it is difficult for, to have any any judgment of of what the of what is going on in the comic book world. That being said, it we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. The eighties is another very fruitful time um, for. Daredevil as a comic book as the as the eighties were for X Men. So we'll uh, we'll get into that, um, and we'll just take a look at the uh, movie production notes. Will you're the man with the data and the information. We want to take a look at the the behind the scenes of the movie itself, and and what the the budget is interesting because it tells you what kind of faith um, a production company might hmm. have in the projects. When we get to Ghost Rider, we're going to have some fun with that when we get to Ghost Rider and the sequel, uh, because you can see what the first movie did to their confidence in the second movie. So the budget (laughs) gives you a great estimation of what they're kind of hoping and planning and thinking of the movie. And then, of course, the box office will help us see how this character and this story was received by uh, by the general public and what it means for the future. So, Will, what have you got for us? Well... You know me, I love money. Uh, and I also love comparing uh, money <laughs> to other money, which it's a great way of proving you definitely didn't fail maths at school. <laughs> um, so the budget for Daredevil, we have... Okay, no drum roll, please, because at this point it would be sarcastic. Uh, $78 million. Right, Ooh. that's uh, that's respectable. That it, respectable. That, that's that's a very that's a very uh, highly anticipated independent film there, uh, and uh, for the box office, yeah. yeah. What would you say for the box office? Well, you always say it needs three times the three times. budget to be a success and to get a sequel and we know it well i don't know whether you consider electra a sequel but it did get a follow-up so uh in the region of 200 maybe 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 less so is it in the region of sort of 200 million you know not quite it would quite it would 20, have so the region of three times much would probably be and he's going to do record calculation in his head it would be 240 or more precisely, uh, 234. Sorry, I did that all in my head just then. 
I mean, you guys can't see it. I could just be using a calculator <laughs> right now. And even then, you'll be going, well, he's sure using that calculator slowly. You'd think he would have prepared this beforehand to sound all clever. But no, he really commits to being ignorant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, he, the thing is, that for those of you at home that, that, that are not aware of this, I have an adult learning disability. I have the, this, the dyslexia of numbers, dyscalculia. So, to me, Will, what you're doing, this like witchcraft. I mean, oh, I'm man. expecting fire to come shooting out of your fingertips next. So, I, I, and I've got no way of knowing if what you're saying is true. I, 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 it could, you could be saying moon pie, and I would assume that's the correct answer. I trust you with the numbers. That's how I got through so did the it uni. Get to, <laughs> did it get that, that 240? No, it, it, it sadly only got 179.2 million. Doesn't make it, um, doesn't really make it a flop, but doesn't really make it a success. It is what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit. It's so a it, bit like, yeah. it's a bit it like throwing a ball at a wall and and the, and it bounces a little bit back, but flops on the floor. The the, the problem with finding out where the, the 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 success and the failure rate is that you don't know how much a production company spends on the. Yeah. Um, well, not the production company, but the distributor spends on the promotion because that's what comes back first. Distributor gets paid first, baby. So, if they've spent a hundred million advertising the movie, then the distributor takes that hundred million and says thanks very much, and the production company limp home with seventy nine point two million, having made one point two million, <laughs> which seems like <laughs> an awful lot of work. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It didn't, it, you know, it it, it it certainly is when it's in the shadow of um, Spider Man um, as that thunderous success, and probably in X Men as well, and X Men Two as thunderous successes. But it it was like the 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 best movie of the you know it was the it was the highest grossing movie of the weekend, and it was one of the best movies of its month, which was February, which is a crap month um, for for action movies. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> it, it 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 did something. It, it did. I, it did something. Could I? Could I pick your just a quick tangent because I think we can afford it with this episode. Why do they call it the summer blockbuster when summer is the last is the, is the worst time I would consider to see a film because you don't want to be inside a cinema? I never understood this. Why is summer? Why is yeah, summer? Why is it always summer blockbuster? Blockbusters come out. Yeah, teenagers. Teenagers. Oh, That's your teenagers! Because they're off, they have money. Uh-huh. They're doing Saturday yeah. jobs. Yeah, teenagers, man. Okay, uh, because the 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 the, the summer, summer blockbuster is built entirely around Jaws um, and Star Wars and, and and those those movies. And yeah, they they were all huge summer summer hits with that kind of crossover. The, the teens, whether it's the the necking teenagers or the younger teens, got from school. That's what you want to build around. <clears throat> yep, yep, but we're yep, not yep. here to talk about films Even though we are here to talk about films Even though, oh, no. Will, uh, as you don't know this We have been in the top The top ten UK Film review podcasts According to the Apple podcast charts That's where we've been It's the highest <laughs> honour It's the highest honour of the land uh, And we kind <laughs> of feel like we shouldn't be a movie review show But there are no other options So that's what we are um, yeah. But we need to focus on the comic book, so let's take a little look at the publication side of Daredevil, how it came to be, 
and how it arrived on the scene. Very much, I think, um, the, the, the little sister, the little brother to a lot of the Marvel characters. We had those original blast of, of characters, um, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Hulk, Thor, all big, big players um, in, in, the, in, the, in the outside media world when it comes to movies and TV shows and cartoons. And Daredevil comes just after that. 1964, hmm. um, ah. and it's proudly em- embellished on the on the front cover with a, <laughs> a thing that says from from the people or in the proud tradition of Spider Man or from the people that brought you Spider Man, and it was very much trying to um, trying to hang on, on his hat on that hat stand. Um, Stanley, um, and we take everything that Stanley says with a grain of salt, as much as we love him. He said that. Is it possible? Uh, people Is it possible told to take what he says in a grain of salt? <laughs> people had told him, or he'd come mm. to realise that it, the success of the Marvel characters were because they all had this this great flaw. The characters yeah. were deeply flawed, yeah. and, and yep. that made them such a success when compared to the competition, which was sort of DC Comics at the time. Or mm. even things like romance comics, or it wasn't quite this head-to-head superhero battle, which it later became. So Stan says he he decided to make one of his heroes disabled, thinking yep. what what bigger flaw would I be able to write about? So he he teamed up with an artist called Bill Everett, who was a legendary comic book artist even then by 1964. He had created what is arguably the very first Marvel superhero, Namor the Submariner, kind of Marvel's Aquaman, uh, the, the Prince of Atlantis. He, he sort of Fantastic Four are the first Marvel characters because that's when the Marvel Age begins. But then they fold in these pre-war characters, Captain America, the the original Human Torch, who's a robot, and Namor the Submariner. And of those mm. crop, the timely comics crop, Namor is the first, and Bill Everett is the is the artist, the legendary artist that, that created that created Namor. Um, yeah. and, and they put together Daredevil. Um, mm. And I'm just going to ping you uh, his original costume because I'm it is forward completely to this. different. It is completely different um, to how he appears now. And there is some, and I have a tremendous fondness for this. Um, oh my lord! Why do you have a tremendous so the fondness Daredevil, for this? Oh, I love it. So the original Daredevil costume is yellow and the, the, the red that you see on his on his traditional garb. A little bit of black in there as well. So he has a yellow hooded mask, yellow kind of sleeves and, and legs and things, but red gloves and boots and the red, I don't know, it's like a gymnast outfit. I love it, man. I really, really I, do. I have two thoughts about this. One is incredibly, is like the first horrible forgotten draft of Ozymandias from Watchmen. And the second thought is, someone spent five pounds on an Iron Man costume. <laughs> on an Iron Man costume? Where you it's Iron- the, oh, okay, because of the colour scheme. okay, The, yeah, the yeah, colouring yeah, yeah. schemes there. Got, I, yeah. you, know, you know, the older, older Iron Man, the golden... Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, they are, I, they are yeah. big ones for reusing things. This only lasted um, seven issues... Uh, Stan was facing a revolt from the the colorists who hated, <laughs> and the inkers who hated inking it. So um, sorry, Stan a revolt says, from the colorists. That sounds like you're fighting against right. racists. 
And Stan said he put yeah. a hell of a lot of thought into this. What he did mm. is he just stood up one day and said, fine, just make it all red then. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's literally as much thought as he put into the, the change and the shift in the in the costume. Um, seven issues that gold and red one, your yellow and red one lasted for. I think it's lush. I see cosplayers mm. dressing up as it now and you can get you can get some of the uh, the action figures in the classic costume. I love it. Um, yeah. He, he was fair. kind of the most traditional superhero that Marvel had. He has the secret identity. He's not a mutant or a god or a monster. He's not even a teenager. You know, he's a normal. He's a grown. He's a grown person um, mm. with a secret identity. You know, admittedly, there had never ever been a disabled superhero before, and it would be a long time before there was a disabled superhero. Um, after after Daredevil, mm. but he was a swashbuckling acrobat in the 1960s. He he battled these goofy villains like the Owl and the Jester and Stilt Man. I'm going to say that one again: Stilt Man, a man. What was this? Who has stilts? Oh bloody hell! He has telescopic stilts, like so he can go from ah. Uh, normal man walking around presses a button and he shoots up really really tall it lets him rob um like apartment buildings and skyscrapers it's not it's actually not i mean it has some semblance of that kind of makes sense and he has telescopic (laughs) arms as well so he can like if your apartment's on the 33rd floor you're not safe from stilt man (laughs) still the the thing is is, he should have he should have changed that name sorry but yeah, the pro- what's the problem with Stilt Man apart from the name? <laughs> you just you just push him over, Will. <laughs> yeah, no, <this laughs> he's is... he's a man on massive stilts. You just push him over. All I'm it's imagining the attack. now, it's a chicken walker. It's Empire Strikes Back all over again. All I can imagine now is at the beginning of like the first comic he's in is some people like loading some money into a bank, but a bank that's on top of a pole. And they're going, oh, this bank, this money will be safe in our new high-rise pole bank. And then it's like, mm-hmm, stilt man I- would disagree. <laughs> I want you to now produce a series of five-minute short episodes <laughs> called No One Safe From Stilt Man. <laughs> no One and, uh- Safe From Stilt Man. <laughs> I, would, I would definitely sign up to Netflix to see that every week. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, he, he's... He, he's a very traditional acrobatic swashbuckling superhero. Um, that's why the original costume kind of looks like a gymnast leotard. Yep. He has this love triangle with his secretary, Karen Page, Woof. and his best friend, Foggy Nelson. It's very traditional 60s superhero stuff. And in the 1970s, it was it was it was Marvel nineteen seventy stuff. His villains got more powerful and slightly more sci fi and interesting things happened, but he was still very trad and he was still well he was he was creeping down and down and down the popularity. He he was not a very well bought comic, it was not a very well thought of um or popular mm. character. Although he remains to this day Stan Lee's favourite character, the favourite character that Stan Lee Really? Has ever created is, is Daredevil. Yeah. He, is it he because of the Spider-Man disability? Is the most, 
He says, Spider-Man is the most celebrated, mm. but, but mm. Daredevil's where my heart lies. And he becomes a lot of writers' favourite favorite character. And then Frank Miller arrived in the 1980s, Yay. took over the comic book, and everything changed. He completely changed the tone of the book, and Marvel let Frank Miller do pretty much whatever he wanted because the sales were that low. It was a make-or-break kind of just we'll see what happens. And not enough people are paying attention for it to cause a problem with what he does anyway. So Frank completely ignores pretty much everything that came before him and and treated his run on Daredevil as almost like a reboot from the get-go. He introduced things to the character's backstory that had never been there before and then just had the characters and the stories kind of act as if that had always been the case, but we'd never talked about it before for some reason. He he ditched the supervillains for mobsters and ninjas. He added this um, hard-edged film noir feel to the whole book. Yeah, yeah. It, with his with his with his artwork, he introduced an incredible use of shadows. Yeah, and he with his writing, he gave Daredevil. Uh, a Dashiell Hammett style internal monologue to bring him up to those kind of pulp novels, those kind of film noir detectives. This sounds like so many other Frank Miller comics. I mean, I've read uh, like his Batman comics. I've read, I've got Sin City coming out, The Wazoo. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think Frank Miller does. He, he his style is so neo noir, and he does that. He does it spot on. So I can imagine that I, worked I, so well for Daredevil. I have a lot of issues with uh, here we you go. Know, borderline fascist Frank Miller. Yeah, <laughs> there is his, that. He, he's he's a very problematic individual, Incredibly. and we shouldn't take him seriously as a human being. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, Frank Miller can do one thing: he can do tough guys being tough, and that's pretty much all he can do. That being said. <laughs> With um, with with this kind of eighties work and nineties work on Daredevil and Batman, it was it was revolutionary. This is the the time period where where he introduces Kingpin, Ben Urich, mm. Elektra, ninjas, martial arts. It's the time when he transforms Daredevil into an anti-hero rather than a swashbuckling acrobat. Um, he <laughs> he introduces in this period of time what I feel he introduces two things. Catholicism, which Ooh. goes on to become a very strong trait of, of Daredevil. Catholicism had been there in the background, but Miller really highlighted it. Um, one pithy line that sums it up uh, that, that he had in one of his issues, only a Catholic could be an attorney and a vigilante at the same time. And I think that, <laughs> that duality, that kind of self-hating or, or self-flagellating guilt of that duality is very mm. important to Matt Murdock's character. And the most, the most, the fundamentally most important, like everything that comes before this is almost a different character. From Miller onwards, he introduces the most important thing of his run that would come to define Daredevil going forward, and that is putting an emphasis on misery. Yeah, and it's very film noir and it's very hard boiled, but it has become very Matt Murdock in all of his incarnations. And hell, look at that Netflix series for Misery. Look at this movie for for, for Misery as well. We yeah. talked in the Fantastic Four episode about how 
Doctor Doom, with, with comic book characters, they're tremendously long-lived, and not everything that is there at the start defines them. Sometimes what defines a character comes decades later. Batman, to begin with, is carrying a pistol and shooting people, and Batman is... is I think he kills people originally as well. That doesn't wow. mean that those characters from that point on should always murder and kill. What has come to define them in their greatest moments and their greatest stories has been stories and storytelling subsequently where we go, oh no, it's much more interesting if they are virtuous heroes that don't do these things. Mm. Um, with these long-lived Marvel characters, Doctor Doom, it's a cool design, it's a cool name, but he's kind of a, a, quite a generic arch-villain to begin with, right? He's got a time, you can time travel, and he's got a cool sort of armor and stuff, but it's the layers introduced over the years by other writers. And that's that's the same with, with Daredevil. And I'm not saying that everything before Frank Miller was bad, it wasn't, but um, it's hard, it's much easier for a first time reader or for a modern reader to go back and enjoy um, this kind of postmodern. Uh, film noir style uh, pulp hero daredevil and and it, and what the character became from that point on was, was that with a, a couple of changes here and there the 90s were as ever a, a, a bit tough for our marvel characters um but but yeah that is that is what mm. happened in the 80s and that transformed daredevil into a phenomenon in marvel comics you know not not beyond as we said but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't kind of explode elsewhere. Like the X Men in the eighties became an incredible toy line. It became an incredible arcade game, and it, it had uh, incredible merchandise kind of properties, and that led to the cartoons. That didn't quite happen with Daredevil, but Miller took a character that was on the, in the doldrums, and I'm not sure if it's circling the drain. But it, 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 you know, these books do get cancelled, and the characters do have to get recycled. He took a character at probably his lowest ebb and mm. transformed him into one of Marvel's best-selling books and most popular characters. And that is where we find ourselves with, with this with this movie because if it hadn't have been for that, we wouldn't have had the tremendous success that went from the early 90s on through to, uh, to 2003 with this movie. So that brings us to where... That, that gets us settled. That gets us... Acquiesced with the character, Will. Acquiesced. Uh, speaking of getting acquiesced, I want to uh, take a rifle through that mailbag of yours. I see it heaving on thine lap, and I want you to read me the sweet, sweet stories from our sweet, sweet listeners. What have they got to say about death? I'm going to acquiesce some of these letters. I don't know what that word means, uh, but we got a couple here that are quite good. We got one from John Pearson. Who wrote in to say Johnny P? Johnny P. Uh, but it, we, we need to we need to introduce him uh, as he as he as he fully is, um, and that is uh, professional male model John Pearson. Professional, <laughs> professional male model John Giacomo, Pearson. Giacomo approved professional male model John Pearson. Um, By the way, the we, we we we're doing this because we know him. It's not because he spent a lot of money on the Patreon. <laughs> yes, and he hasn't asked for that on Patreon. Although you can ask for that on Patreon, you know. To be fair, and it's also but, it's also not a, not a not a joking insult. John Pearson is a, is a televised Giacomo model. He's a hell of a mensch and a great comedian. And we're uh, he's also from yeah. Melton Melbury, the uh, home of the pork pie. Um, oh, <laughs> then 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 he doesn't need to pay Patreon ever. I love pork pies. But anyway, 
He wrote in to say, first of all, guys, loving the podcast. And now gigs are coming back. I have much more time to listen and I'm properly catching up on the long drives. My favourite part of every episode, and this happens Well, let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there. Hello. Right, because that's what we are about. Because we've had some landmarks and some milestones recently. Um, we've mm. had some interest for some people that want to want to come on board and be a part of the part of the show with sponsorships, and we've had some great uh, download uh, milestones come through the doors, and and it's cool because we were told from the get go in every way conceivable, from every think piece blog and guide and tip on how to do a podcast, we kept being told our podcasts are too long. <laughs> constantly from every corner came it's too long no one's going to listen to that who's going to listen to all that it's too you go into too much detail what you want to be doing is uh lots of episodes throughout the week or once a week or, or but just short ones like 20 minutes and uh that we ain't about that we're about the people doing long drives we're at the people doing commutes we're about the people clearing out the shed clearing out the attic people have got chores to do the people who want to go on that hour-long walk the people that are going to hit the gym for that 30 90 minute second session that's what we're about so yeah johnny p playing us on the drive to gigs and back that's what it's about you got them diversions on the way home they close the motorways at 10 30 every night we're there for you that's what this show's about. Oh, damn right. Crack a cold one. Crack, crack a cold, a cold one. one. I'll, yeah. I'll crack on. Lots of crack here. So my favourite part of every episode, and this happens frequently, having known Rob for around a decade now, and he definitely, he defo does this to me during conversations. Every time Will, such a muggle, attempts to re-explain something <laughs> Rob has just explained... But gets it wrong. I can actually hear and see the eye roll from Rob. And I can hear his brain <laughs> click over. And sometimes you let go. But others, you pick up, pick him up on it. <laughs> so question one. How many times do you think you have let Will believe what he believes, even though he is wrong? And second question, why do you decide on this movie order to watch them in? During lockdown, I've rewatched all the Marvel films, but I watched them in timeline order, which isn't that much different, but it is a really fun way to see the story unfold and how it all links so well together. And he actually provided a timeline of all the films, which I found, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, we'll tweet, we'll tweet that out around the time the show yeah. goes on. We'll, we'll tweet it out. Um, right. So, <laughs> First question. I roll. Um, I roll. I know. Well, <laughs> what happens sometimes is it sound when Will does his. I finish a point, and then Will kind of summarizes the point, and then gets back to the main thrust of the plot. And some of his summaries of what I've just said, it sounds like he's not been paying attention. Like he's only just come into the room. And he goes, "Oh yeah, so that was a bit sad." Everyone's dead, Will. So there's there's those times when it feels like you're really underselling something that's just happened but that's it in general i don't have um, my eye rolls don't come from like comic book stuff at all because you're just learning this right yeah there's no there's no sort of like oh i can't believe they don't under my eye rolls come from when we disagree about movies (laughs) because you have no excuse (laughs) and it's an awful lot 
There's an awful <laughs> lot of technical technical points. Why aren't the special effects from a 15-year-old movie as good as they should be? Because it's 15 years old, Will! <laughs> and then movie things like that. That's where my eyes are firmly placed in the back of my skull. <laughs> but not, com- think- not comic book stuff, because... It's oh. like I'm introducing a baby deer to uh, to dew Creston uh, grass for the first time. Ah, oh, oh, he hasn't seen it. He doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know what you're saying's worse. <laughs> the fact that I'm like a baby deer dew crusted grass, or that I'm just an idiot. Like <laughs> there is no flip no, side to this. You're not an idiot. You just have unrealistic expectations of movies from a long time ago. I, I I think I think it's perfectly fine to just expect things to be good and if they're not, sodom. I think that's fine. Very Well, you know what? You, I I had my eyes opened in the last episode because I'm there defending how old this movie is. Fantastic mm. Four going, Oh, well, well, yep. you can't, you can't, you can't and then we got to the bit where we kind of realised Batman Begins is the same time period yeah. and it feels a hell of a lot more up to date and relevant and in the now and, and Iron Man's only a couple of years later and that still feels very so I had my eyes open to your side of the fence and perhaps that's, I need to bite my that's tongue the best, that's the best consolation prize <laughs> I've ever achieved <laughs> right there and what was the second question? Oh, the timeline was that. What was the Ta- question? Was uh, how what, how do we decide on which order to watch them in? Are we, are, well, do the, we want to take people behind the, the curtain em- here? <clears throat> do we really want to take people behind the curtain in the inner workings well, he's, of the he's, podcast? He's he's only asking about the MCU in that in that particular manner. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the reason we're doing it in release order is because we're we really at our heart are a podcast about movie fans discovering marvel for the first time and i mm. think it would be not kind of not not part of our ethos or yes. not part of our not part of what the spirit of the show is to kind of do them in a different way because we want to yes captain marvel might be the first one you look at in a timeline order or or no mm. captain america isn't it but but you know but but we want to understand how do we get there and, that, and that's why we've started to introduce yeah. the thing about budgets and box office because yeah oh that was such a success so you do you go in this direction and and that was so popular people loved guardians of the galaxy which came out of nowhere and i think that's i mean we haven't really discussed it but i that's the idea isn't it really because we are, we are about how yeah. people found marvel for the first time yeah discovery it's all about discovery if it was just people who knew everything agreeing with us it wouldn't be an entertaining podcast would it actually it would that's 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 another bonus yeah. that's another way you can enjoy that's this. all people want uh, join yeah. us for our new podcast, Echo Chamber versus Echo Chamber. <laughs> um, Surely it would be an echo chamber within a. You can't have versus echo chambers. That's oh, technical. God. Are we getting this technical? Is technical? This is where oh, the logical part of my Will. brain kicks in and goes. Will, no, Will is, no. He's going off to look at schematics for an hour. We've lost him. Yeah, we'll sorry. have to rejoin the podcast later. I'll, I'll, yeah. Is there <laughs> anyone else in the mailbag this this week, Will? Uh, we got David Ferguson again, very, very keen fan uh, of the podcast. Uh, he said about Daredevil, utter garbage film. Oh, <laughs> Oof. We're, we're coming mm. out. We're coming out here. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's great because John didn't mention Daredevil at all. But hey, uh, David Ferguson says Ben Affleck's Daredevil is a psychopathic murderer. Jennifer Garner's Electra looks like a drag queen. The handling of Matt Murdock's disability Ooh, is cringe-inducing and deeply outdated. There's a piece of dialogue where the line is something like, "I wish you had my eyes." Daredevil is in tight leather. You know, the stuff that creaks. The original film cut is stupid. The director's cut with the DVD that came in a lovely metal tin is stupid. Colin Farrell's bullseye is hilariously awful. Michael Clark Duncan keeps his dignity as kingpin, but only just. The Electra sequel sequel wasn't any better, but it is the first Marvel female lead film. I don't think we would have had the superb television series if not for this film. I don't hate this film. Its heart is in the right place. Watched it in a double bill with Halle Berry's Catwoman. It's a good evening. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for your comments, Dave. Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's that... I don't think it's as bad as it's being painted as it's hard because if you if you love these comic books and i'm i get from, i get from from dave's previous emails that he's a big big comic book fan um yep. i i do get that it's not quite what you're perhaps after or looking for i gotta say i mean this matt murdoch is not a million miles away from the matt murdoch of of the comic books at all especially the miller run and we're gonna get into mm. that um he is the Matt Murdock from eighties onwards is the darkest Marvel character, Marvel superhero character. You know, um, a kind of beyond even Wolverine, who has a sort of, you know, yeah, stab people sometimes. What are you going to do? <laughs> Murdock, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's racked with guilt about the times he does horrific things to people. Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 there, there. I read a, a couple of blog articles about how um, Electra was so poorly received on all sides that it put the nail in the idea of female-led action movies for for a long time. It put oh. the nail in the idea of superheroine or female superhero movies, however you want to say That's it. That's a shame. That's and a shame. It, it was a, a part of Jennifer Garner's um, kind of box office downfall. Um, so, yeah, because yeah, I never saw it that front. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. I don't think there's another film where I go, oh, Jennifer Garner. I mean, the name rung a bell, but that's about it. And I thought, oh, damn. You don't remember Alias? My eyes are rolling. You don't remember Alias? I remember posters for the TV show Alias. Oh, my God. Oh, was my it? God. I know it's James just... Cameron, but was it any good? No, you're thinking of Dark Angel. You did this again. We, this is not the first oh, time we've wow. had this discussion. This is incredible. <laughs> That's Jessica Alba. That's Jessica Alba, right. You did this okay. in the Fantastic Four episode. <laughs> I did, yes, Jim I? Cameron produced and created Dark Angel with um, with Jessica Alba. That is mm. kind of, of, of Tosh. It's kind of Bobbins. Alias is J.J. Um, Abrams. Oh, hello. And... It's very good to begin with, like a lot of things by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, don't I know It's good it. at the start. Good couple of, first couple of seasons. Um, yeah. 
Well, we are. We urge you to get in touch with us um, uh, about Daredevil, about Fantastic Four, about what you think of the podcast, what you think of Will, what you think of me. Do I roll my eyes too much? And you can <laughs> do that by uh, typing out an email and sending it to Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com, or you can follow and tweet us. Find out all the latest news and info over on Twitter, where we are known as at Marvel Versus, and then that's the end of it. Just Marvel Versus, no second Marvel. We couldn't couldn't fit it in, um, and that's a fantastic way to get in touch. But the best way to get in touch, Will, the best way to get in touch with us is oh, to yes. head over to our website, which we have over at Patreon.com. P A T R E O N dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You can uh, join up, support us, send us a message, get yourselves on the VIP list to make sure that we definitely get around to reading your message, your your email every episode. We make that vow. We'll always respond. Um, if you're a Patreon, if you're if you're a patron, sorry, on Patreon, um, you can uh, sign up and just support us. Just support us for three pounds a month, and that will not just support us, but in exchange for that. We give you access to some little mini bonus episodes, some little mini episodes we've got on there. Uh, we've got one on the uh, the the weird, wild, and wacky um, Spider-Man clone saga. We've got one on the most useless X-Men ever uh, to ever <laughs> step foot in a comic book, and we've got another one on the many different captains of the Americas, the different people to wear the star-spangled suit when Steve Rogers hasn't been around. And that's just for £3 a month. You'll also be able to drop us a message, tell us anything in your heart's desire, and mm. you'll be able to pick a non-MCU video TV project for us to take a look at and cover in an episode. If there's a uh, a non-MCU movie or TV show you want us to, uh, to cover, then as, as long as you're a patron... Send us that message, and we have to respond and get around to doing it. There's also some other tiers there. For um, £5 a month, you can get early access to each brand new episode of the full-length podcast. Uh, people who are in that £5 tier or in that VIP tier, they're listening to this on a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday. They get the whole weekend to play around with me and Willie P. Three days before it goes on general release on the Monday. And then there's the top tier for the big dogs, the OGs. £10 Mm. a month will get you everything we've said so far, plus access to our full-length bonus episodes, which come out each and every month. Available right now is Annihilation, uh, an episode all about how the Guardians of the Galaxy came together in a huge war in space with the cosmic characters. There's an episode up there about the Superior Spider-Man saga featuring the uh, perhaps the greatest moment of Dr. Octopus's uh, ca- career. Like, like he's a real person. And uh, we've got another one dropping next week. All things being well and good. The full-length bonus episode... Spinning off from this Daredevil episode, where we're going to take a very special look at the uh, the secret identity of Daredevil and the various disastrous things that have happened to him because of it over the years. It's really, really fun and exciting. We're going to deal with Matt Murdock's twin brother. 
We're going to deal Ooh, with the legendary Frank Miller um, Born Again um, storyline from the 80s. And we're going to deal with a 2000 storyline that is one of, if not the greatest Daredevil storylines um, of all time, penciled by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, and that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Will is really looking forward to that. That's all going down on the Patreon. And before any further ado, we've got some patrons to uh, to deal with who send us some fantastic correspondence. And um, uh, Peter J is back in the house. The first, he's number one. Will you know that he's number one? Peter J is number one. PJ number one. Yay! He's the first guy to ever sign up to our Patreon. We've got a lot of love in our hearts for Peter J, and he gets in touch to say, Hi guys, the Fantastic Four episode is awesome. <laughs> you tackled a film that people are divided over, and you did it really well. And now you're taking on Daredevil. This movie yep. has high points and low points for me. I really like the intro. The lights of the buildings turning to Braille, then to the stars' names is pretty awesome in my opinion. A great um, credit sequence all the stuff with Matt as a kid is great too the kingpin is great played by Michael Clark yep. Duncan maybe there should have been a lot more of him in this film Bullseye I, and Electra. Yeah. I can't make my mind up about Bullseye sometimes mm. I love the mad over the top Colin Farrell and other times it's just too much for me him killing random people for no reason is either awful or or fantastic, <laughs> I flip between the two. I realised as soon as Electra hits the screen that I really, really want her to have her own movie. Mm. I'm a massive comic book Electra fan, so that would be amazing. Wait, does does Peter J not know that Electra does have her own movie? Did it span uh, off from this? I don't know. I was a bit confused by the phrasing there. It does yeah. seem a bit weird. Yeah. Or maybe maybe he means we he want he would be amazing if we covered it. Let's I mean uh, Peter J if you listen okay. to this, she okay. does have a movie, and Yo, uh, yeah. we'll we'll definitely cover it at some point in the future, especially if enough people ask for it. Um, um oh right here we go. Imagine my excitement when a couple of years after this they started filming that movie. Okay, we got wrapped. We should have kept reading, Pete. That's awful. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then on to. Daredevil Affleck, some nice touches. The bits with him and Foggy Nelson I really liked. Him folding his money, reminding us of his day-to-day life as a blind man. And even Mm. the narration were pretty good. Affleck is not great, but equally he's not bad either. I think maybe he is annoyingly average. (laughs) Here's what I'll say about this. I've come in recent years, and this is with modern Affleck. I fully believe now, if Ben Affleck is in something... Ben Affleck will be great in that thing. He's not good at picking great projects, but whatever he Ben Affleck will be really, really good in it. This movie is a little bit before that, but I've now uh, had a chance to watch some of the mm. deleted scenes on that extended version of the movie, and there are flashes of Affleck greatness in in those courtroom scenes and in in some of the other ones as well. Um, we perhaps will chat about that before we kick this movie off. Okay, there's a, a bunch of nice shots. The flaming uh, double Ds. Oh, no, don't let, let's, let's not call them double Ds. The, yeah, that sounds <laughs> like flaming, something else. <laughs> the flaming DD that's then reflected in Ben Urich's glasses. All the rooftop stuff. The movement of the wire from the billy clubs. 
It's all really good. So why don't I love this film? Asks Pete. <laughs> and there's this problem for me. It just has something that I don't like and I cannot put my finger on it. I don't know if it's the pacing or the soundtrack. And that's something we got a lot of messages about, how great the soundtrack is. Mm. Uh, Pete's not a fan. Maybe it's the scene of Electra hitting sandbags, which is just awful. And Daredevil <laughs> does attempt to kill Bullseye, and he at least oversees the death of a rapist in the beginning. I, I don't know. It, it's a, it seems like quite a few uh, confirmed comic book fans are having issues with things that Daredevil definitely did in the comic books. Maybe uh, you, maybe, maybe you're gonna have your eyes opened a little bit more because those two things he did. Um, <laughs> it gets mm-hmm. a lot of very bad reviews, and I'm not sure it deserves them. It's not '90s Captain America bad. You know what, PJ? He's not been he's not been brave enough to demand we cover it, but he keeps in almost every email. He keeps kind of taunting us and teasing us with the with this terrible 1990s. Uh, Matt Salinger Captain America movie. I think I am wants totally. It to we will. I am totally <laughs> up for watching it because I've seen a clip of him punching someone and stealing a car, and I went, "That's the film for me." And that's a simple <laughs> Captain America I can get down with. I think uh, maybe I just went into this particular film having read a lot of Daredevil comics and having a lot of my own ideas about how it should be and who should be in it. This may be a problem. I think he gets to the heart of a lot of stuff here man this may be a problem with a lot of superhero movies if you're a comic book fan you're already filled with backstories and story arcs some that you love and some that you don't and there's also the artwork you already have all these images of how the characters should look and what the costumes are like and the surroundings i think he hits hits an nail on the head right there mm. Pete says, I'm looking forward to hearing what Will thinks about this movie, as he may not have any of these preconceived notions. Being a comic book fan first, I often have to remember that the films are a completely different medium, and maybe for a different audience too. Anyway, as always, your hard work gives me two to three hours of cracking listening pleasure (laughs) while he's at work every week. Pete does an awful lot of long shifts and long hours. We know that from previous emails. Um... And uh, he, he's able to, to slap the podcast on and while away a lot of that shift. And that's what we're here for, like with the long car journeys. Uh, thank you, Pete, for being an OG, for being with us. Um, and uh, we're certainly going to get Will's thoughts on as a non-comic book fan on this movie. Finally, mm. we hear from Cody, who writes in to Patreon to say, I didn't see this movie in the cinema. Pardon me. So this will be the first time watching it. I honestly think it's a really enjoyable movie. Definitely meh in some places, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I watched the director's cut, so that could have improved the quality of it. Right, we're going to deal with this. Still think the Netflix version um, is better, but I'm ready to hear all the trivia about how this stacks up to the comic books. Definitely going to pay attention to the reading list on this one. Yeah, because... Daredevil is starting to go up my list of favourite characters. The only thing I've really seen him in is the Netflix show, the first two seasons, and man, that was awesome. He's also a character in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 video game, and his bit of the storyline was interesting, with the hand being one of the villains. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Cody. Um, I Will might be able to shed some light on Ultimate Alliance 3. Have you played that one? Ultimate Alliance 3... 
Uh, it rings a bell. I played the first I think two. The... I played the first two. See, is it this is it, is this is this is this one of those Capcom fighting games, Ultimate Alliance, or is this another one? No, no, it's it's not like a Street Fighter game. It's one where you've got like a team of three or four, and you kind of switch between. You know, you kind of it's a scroll or it's a like a yeah. final fight scroll around, beat them up, but it's a team base if that makes sense. So ult- ultimate, there we go. I got Ultimate Alliance. Just looking on my phone. Um, yeah, no, I haven't played it. I I'm just seeing if I should bother with it. Oh, it's quite recent. I might look into it. <laughs> well, we this. can move on. You can do that on your own Sorry. time, Will. You yeah, can do that. Yeah, uh, yes. you, can, you can do that after the episode uh, if you want. And we'd, we'd love to hear you annotate or what, what the next thing you're going to purchase is. Um, yes, so Cody brings up a really important thing, which is the director's cut. Hmm. Um, now, I wasn't aware of this until we started to uh, delve into the, to the movie. There's a director's cut out there. It has a lot more scenes in it. It actually has something which is crucial for a Daredevil comic book. It has courtroom scenes with Matt as an attorney. There's a whole uh. other court case involving Coolio as uh, 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 as, as as one of the the main uh, plaintiffs in it. And um, Matt Murdock's got to defend his client, and it's a whole separate storyline to what goes on with Bullseye and Electra. And um, there's some really, there's a lot more interaction between um, Ben Urich and Matt Murdock. Mm. You get a bigger sense that he definitely knows stuff. Uh, the more they interact, there's a scene where Matt, as Matt and not Daredevil, kind of aggressively interrogates someone and scares the crap out of them. And um, a lot of people, I haven't, what I've seen a couple of the clips. I've not seen the whole thing with the director's cut, but a lot of people have said the director's cut is head and shoulders above the cinematic release. So that would be really interesting. It, it, it gives more of Matt Murdock, more for him to do, um, more for him to be Matt Murdock and not just the guy in the leather, bizarrely leather costume. Um, <laughs> but that's not the one that we worked, it's not the one we watched and what we worked after this. We're just going to deal uh, today with the cinematic release, the regular release. That's the regular uh, VCR in your hands. Is that is that not right? Will VCR is in my hands where it's always sorry. That's been. the regular the regular VHS is what I meant to say. Oh, I, I had to think the extended VHS. There we go. The VCR is also in my hands because I have big hands, big strong big hands. man hands, big hands. They could tell stories. Uh, yes, we got the VHS one hand VHR. VH, VHS, VCR. I'm just going to say letters until one. I mean, of them maybe, is maybe right. just press play. Will maybe let's just press just, play. I, 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 enough <laughs> of these frivolities. We are going to press yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. Boom. So the movie starts with Daredevil clinging to a stone crucifix perched atop a church. As he enters the church, clearly injured, he narrates the story of his life, saying that before you die, your life flashes before your eyes even if you're a blind man. As a child, Matthew Murdoch lived in Hell's Kitchen with his washed-up boxer father, Jack the Devil Murdoch. Matt is bullied and attacked by children, but his father constantly reminds Matt to stay away from fights, get an education, and not wind up like him. One fateful day, when young Matt takes a shortcut home, he stumbles across his father, beating up a man at the behest of local mob boss Fallon. Horrified, Matt runs away from the scene 
and runs afoul of a forklift which swerves to avoid him and accidentally pierces a barrel of toxic fluid, drenching Matt's face in the substance. So, I will say, especially, I, I mean, I know this came out sort of around the same time as Spider-Man, but the opening felt so much like a cross between the opening to that and Tim Burton's Batman. It had that, you know, there was a certain flavour of superhero films back in the 90s where they were like going hey we're trying to make it a little bit dark but a little bit ooh, you know wondrous and whimsical and maybe ooh, scary a little bit they had that same kind of weird spooky whimsicalness to it and i appreciate i that. think you're you're at, you hit the nail i mean we can pack up and go home will because you hit the nail on the freaking head first thing out hey. your mouth. it it 100 this tone of this movie 100 is a blend of Tim Burton's Batman, the first one really. The second one, yeah, of course, Batman yeah. Returns goes very weird. There are penguins Christmas with jetpacks. Um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 the the, the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. That very much is what it is. That opening shot of Daredevil wrapped around a crucifix, a stone crucifix on the top of the cathedral, is taken from a late nineties comic book series, Daredevil series, called Guardian Devil, written mm. by Kevin Smith, Ben Affleck's dear, dear friend. Oh, Illustrated by um, the man who would go on to become in charge and head honcho of Marvel Comics entirely, Joe Quesada. Um, remember those two names, Kevin Smith and Joe yes. Quesada, as we go throughout this, along with everyone else's names, because anytime there's a name given in this movie that isn't a character, it's the name of someone that's written or drawn Daredevil, the comic book. Joe Quesada. So yeah, that exact Joe Quesada. Yep. I, I was about to say... Oh, wait a minute, I'm just looking in right now. Oh no, I thought it was someone else well, for a second. Cause well, I, no. I was thinking Joe Palantini or whatever his name is. Because he's in this. <clears throat> yes, yeah, he is. And, and and might I say, while we're on the subject, what a cast. What a fantastic cast this film has. Yeah. They yeah, put a really lot does. in. Yeah. I it's don't know if they're all uh, the actors that they would become, and I don't know if they're all firing on all cylinders, Colin Farrell, but mm. um, it, they, 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 it's on paper. If you look at that cast right now, I'm very excited about that film. Yeah, I was getting excited when I was when I started up, and I was like, "No way!" Then I forgot that uh, Michael Clark Duncan's in it. Incredible. So, Rob, is this the same kind of childhood Matt has in the comics? And is this how he gets his powers, or is this some kind of ah, he walked into a nuclear dustbin <laughs> sort of Stan Lee thing? Well, it very much is, yeah, because it's all you know yeah. in his in his book um, in Stan Lee's book. That he quote unquote wrote. Um, mm. he, he when he talks about Daredevil, he does say he does kind of cop to it and say, "Yeah, I, I went back to that old trope of mine, radioactivity." Um, yeah. So he's not, you know, he's not unaware of it at this stage. Um, it, it is so. It the sixties version is very similar. Yes, mm. um, his dad not wanting him to fight, wanting him to get out of poverty and get out of Hell's Kitchen and be someone respectable. Uh, he doesn't say that he's a doctor, doesn't he? Doctor or lawyer or, you know, and you, how often do you hear that in mobster movies, right? That's what yeah. I think of. I think of Tony Soprano yelling at his, 
you know, uh, his therapist and saying, no, 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 I don't want to do anything like this. I want them to get out and to be something respectable. And that, that it has that feel to it. You know, it's, an, it's something echoed in Goodfellas and it's something echoed mm. in, you know, a lot of kind of mobster movies. That being the driving force behind Matt always sticking with his career as a lawyer, even when it, mm. it, it gets in his way, that was originally. Um, and then 1993, after the success of Frank Miller's Daredevil series, regular comic book series, um, Marvel and Frank Miller bring out uh, a limited series called Daredevil Man Without Fear. Uh, and this is off the back of um, Frank Miller having tremendous success at DC with Batman Year One, which was a complete yes. retelling of Batman's first year going from, you know, uh, uh, an orphan to to what it's like and how do you go about actually being Batman in an it's urban great. environment. And, and was the basis for, well, not the basis for, but, but inspired yeah. uh, quite a bit of Batman Begins and quite a bit of The Dark Knights. In 93, Miller does exactly the same for Matt Murdock. Goes very noir with it. The Man Without Fear portrays Jack Murdock as an angry drunk who <laughs> beats Matt. He, he, oh. Who beats Matt for getting into fights with bullies. And this sets Matt down a... a this gives Matt a completely different um, purpose behind being a lawyer. It sets him down a path where... Because he feels the unjustly persecuted by his dad, unjustly beaten, mm. he 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 wants to ensure that people who do bad things for the wrong reason are held to account, one yes. way or another. And so that kind of drives Matt towards the rule of law and towards justice, one way or another. In both versions, um, Matt. Doesn't he's not just running? He doesn't see it like he doesn't see his dad beating someone up and then run away and then get blasted. He sees a blind man crossing the street about to get hit by a reckless truck, and mm. Matt, as a young boy, throws himself across the the street, knocks the blind man to safety, but the the, the truck still spills its load, and that's how he gets blinded by saving Oof. the blind man. So there's a a little. Um, a little, you know, uh, biting poetry to to, to that. Um, what do we need to remember about the radioactive waste that splashes Matt Murdock and runs into the streets? What do we need to know about all of that and how it relates to one of the greatest cartoons of all time? Oh, hello. Oh, no. <clears throat> oh, I just realised which one you're on about. So, Shall I say it? Mm, Daredevil <laughs> is the inspiration for what, Will? Is it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? 100% right. Oh, Teenage my. Mutant. <clears throat> the thing to remember about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is that originally it is a satire of Frank, of Frank Miller's Daredevil run. That's all it is. Really? Right. Yeah, the whole thing—it's a satire. Oh, man. So the ho- ninjas everywhere. Um, so, so he depicts almost the first scene from Man Without, uh, for, for, yeah, Man Without Fear. Mm. But he doesn't draw the characters to look exactly like the characters. Eastman and Laird, sorry, not he. Eastman and Laird. And then you see the radioactivity run down the sewer, 
get into the sewers and get all over some turtles and a rat. The rat becomes their sensei, and that's a character that we will see later on. Matt Murdock's sensei is is called Stick. Yes. The, t- the N- Ninja Turtle sensei is Splinter. <laughs> um, oh. they, they, they use all the oh. weapons introduced to the mainstream public in this Miller run. The, um, the, the, the bow staff, the, not introduced, but they use bow staff nunchucks. Uh, Raphael's size are Electra's size. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. the enemy, the major enemy in 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 Miller's uh, Daredevil run, is a ninja clan called the Hand. What are the villains in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles called? The is Foot. The, the Foot. <laughs> no, the Foot. Oh, <laughs> which is God. very dumb and silly because it's kind of dumb. It's just it's just a a humorous, funny, uh, pastiche satire of entirely of Miller's. Daredevil, Daredevil run. The, the, the they you Eastman and Laird use use shadows. They use this gritty film noir narration, but it's about giant teenager turtles. It's a really it's a really funny way of of doing it. And it was only ever meant to be a silly throwaway joke that they did one issue or two issues of. Yeah, I heard <laughs> and about it. Became this. a phenomenon. See, I remember and it all reading comes up from about this moment. The, the, oh, sorry, I was about to say. I remember reading up on the original comics of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles years ago, and I couldn't believe that they were actually serious to you know, compared to the cartoons, but then they saw a reason to make toys. Well, they are serious, but... Um, but with that... They are tongue-in-cheek. They are, they yeah, are taking yeah. the mick entirely out of the very po-faced, overtly grim and serious way Frank Miller writes. To a lot of people in the comic book industry, they were kind of guffawing at all this intensity... For what is Daredevil, <laughs> like it, it, we 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 some of us come to the character. Like I was born in eighty three, so I had mm. a bit of time with, with Daredevil before Miller stuff came out. But by the time I was really reading in the nineties and, and beyond, I'm reading Miller's stuff. Um, but if you're a, a fully grown adult when Miller's stuff is coming out, you're thinking, "What on earth are you doing with the the red guy acrobat man?" <laughs> So that's what they're. That's what Eastman and Laird are doing with, with Ninja Turtles. They're just wow. they're l- genuinely sticking two fingers up at Frank Miller and going, oh. <laughs> "Ninjas, <laughs> what no, are they turtles, about? And they're teenagers." <laughs> yeah, I I like that. That is impressive. I was torn apart everything I knew about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was a very fine staple <laughs> of my youth. My youth. Anything more you'd like to ruin for me, or shall I continue? We'll see how I feel. Wait till you find out about street sharks. You're going to lose your mind. Damn, I didn't watch those, but I'm prepared to lose my mind anyway for the sake of people who did. Anyway, with that, turtles aside, the toxic fluid... Turtles aside. Turtles a scoop of the side. The toxic fluid leaves a mark. Matt wakes up in the hospital to find that he is blind... However, despite his loss of sight, his other senses are functioning with superhuman accuracy, hearing and touch in particular, and he is overwhelmed by sounds to begin with. As Matt has to learn how to get through life as a blind person, he inspires his father to leave crime behind and make a comeback in the boxing ring. Without his father's knowledge, Matt secretly uses his radar-like senses to train his body on the rooftop of Hell's Kitchen. 
He performs amazing feats that ordinary people could not achieve and is able to fight off three bullies at the same time. Speaking of the bullies, I was quite pleasantly surprised to see the actor, I forgot his name, who played uh, Anthony Soprano Jr. was one of the bullies. Yeah. Did you see AJ? And all I could think always was... Always fun, always fun. I, 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 I love the character of Anthony, uh, AJ, AJ in, uh, in The Sopranos. I love it. But all I could think was when, they, when he started beating them up, I, I was half expecting one of the kids just to go, do you know who his dad is? <laughs> <laughs> his dad's Tony Soprano. I also like that it was, it was a very yeah. 1990s multiracial gang. Yes. You know that? Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a kid street gang, but uh, they're all different ethnicities. Just for diversity purposes. <laughs> That's incredibly 90s. Also, the sonar scene in the hospital, it, it was between a line of funny and intense. Like, it, was, it played out exactly how I thought it would play out. Like, we're going to see what a sonar lo- of the room looks like, but, in, but we're going to have the camera go, Whoa, look how crazy sonar is! And you can hear a fly and it sounds like Hiroshima you know that kind of thing <laughs> but but, but it doesn't does it not mirror I mean if suddenly you developed incredibly sensitive sonar hearing mm. it it would be ridiculously oh, it, like it that would wouldn't be, it it would it would, it would it would be terrible it would be it would be terrible but if I had a film made about my experiences I would expect it to be done with taste <laughs> how would you have done it will how would you have tastefully shown the shock and trauma of a young boy suddenly developing sonar abilities and visually displaying to an audience what that was like visually i i was just going to zoom in on his face while the sounds get more intense <laughs> him reacting to it but then i realized that doesn't communicate enough because audiences apart from the ones of this podcast are idiots no, we do. We do need to see that he is seeing sonar. He is seeing yeah, yeah, because okay, of okay. sound. A, a flight. This is me rolling my eyes, everyone. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to? Do we have to get a sound effect of you rolling your eyes, or do we just you no. know depend on? Do we just need to listen just out for John Pearson's loud. loud laugh? Yeah. Do we need to listen out for him going ah? I'm, I'm just going to announce whenever I'm doing it. Okay. Is also now is now the best time to uh, say my daredevil joke that a lot of people like. Yes, it's a perfect time. Perfect time for my daredevil joke that usually goes well on stage. Uh, Marvel comics are great, but they have run out of ideas. They the one TV show I saw was called Daredevil. It's about a blind man, and his superpower is that he can see. <laughs> it's good. I haven't told, it's good. I like that joke. I, I'm a bit rusty. I haven't told that one in ages. But I, hey, why not plug yourself if you're doing a podcast? Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think the sonar scene gets it right for its time. But you, you know how it is with CG effects of that kind. Okay, I'm not going to ham into it because I know you'll start going. No, <laughs> the past is just fine. Will I need to dive in front of a bullet for the past? But yeah, that's uh, it's it, it 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 does its job. Like I couldn't imagine it being like a, a scene where I'd come away and go, I'll tell you what, that superhero film was a bit lame, but that sonar scene, whoa, that was good. Also, his dad 
is essentially Rocky. He's just a a, a yeah. boxer going around doing doing dirty deeds for people. He's Rocky. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, especially like, it, it, so the best. My favorite Rocky film is Rocky Three, right? Because it's got Mr. T and Hulk Hogan in it, and that's a no-brainer. Ooh. And also, whatever you say about Rocky Four. It crosses the line into being a pastiche of its former self. Rocky Three is better yeah. because it's just about on the line. It hasn't crossed over to become completely ludicrous. I mean, it it is it is ludicrous, but it but Rocky Four is just stupid. Whereas Rocky Two is like um, it's like what happens after the fairy tale ends. So Rocky yeah. Two starts with Rocky. He won that. You no, know, he didn't win that fight. But but he but he had a big moment of of that Cinderella story of kind of success at the end of Rocky. Oh, but I love his the life Rocky has thing. not changed. Any mm. money that he's got, he's blown on a dumb car, and he's given to his dumb friends and family. He's got no money left. He can't fight anymore because he's still got brain damage, and he's not supposed to fight. He's working in a meat packing like factory. His life is actually worse because everywhere he goes, people recognize him and kind of make fun of him. It's really good. So that's the kind of like he's sli- he's sliding down like the social strata again to be this dumb paluke. And that's what yeah, absolutely right. That's what Jack Murdoch feels like here. He feels yeah. like this kind of his heyday is well behind him, but people still kind of recognize him and and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's it's it, it, we, we got to com- obviously do Batman comparisons, but you know, uh, unlike Batman, we don't see anyone training him how to fight. He just sort of yeah can. <laughs> I, I mean, he dances I mean, around on the rooftops. Is that what happened to uh, what's his face, John Claude Van Damme? He just accidentally had a accident with some with toxic waste spill and then suddenly grew a ponytail and started kicking people is that how it happened <laughs> i think that's what happens to jean-claude van damme yes yeah yes but i i fully did, believe that did that happen to uh matt murdoch in the comics though um it's it's kind of so what's weird about it is that Spider-Man has roughly the same amount of training that Daredevil has in the movies, which is zero, right? Mm. Spider-Man's training comes from jumping around on rooftops. But Spider-Man doesn't really... He's not like a fighter, is he? He saves people. And and then he has to, on like two occasions, fight. Generally, when he's stopping muggers and burglars, he webs them and goes away. He doesn't have to fight them. It's only when he's like up against the green goblin that he actually has to start fighting fighting daredevil's mm. different because matt murdoch is immediately after dancing on a rooftop shown to be an amazing martial arts fighter <laughs> and um, we don't get any it'd be different if he was shown to be an amazing if his fighting style was boxing standing yeah. still planting his feet and boxing but that's not what it is um that's another really great thing about the Daredevil Netflix series is his fighting style. They use an awful lot of boxing stuff, and it's like, yeah, he just gets his ass kicked a hell of a lot. Yeah. Anyway, the movie. So the movie in the nineteen sixties, there's there's this kind of charming children's fantasy that this <laughs> young boy teaches himself how to fight by watching his dad and then practicing in secret. 
And then it turns out he's just naturally really good at boxing. And he's naturally really acrobatic. Just naturally. It's like the Harry Potter of superheroes. You can just <laughs> naturally do these things. Um, you know, without it being earned. Um, and and the, the powers are very key to it in, in the 60s mm. originally. He can see in 360 degrees in the 60s and 70s and he can hear whatever his opponent is about to do before they do it the the the, the rustle of muscles in in shirts yeah lets him know he someone's about to move their arm and punch him and he's not there anymore like it's all of that all of this this that kind of stuff is is what really makes that um and and it's more to do daredevil 60s and 70s is more this swashbuckling acrobat. He's bouncing off things and jumping around. His billy club or his baton has um, this zip wire thing, so he's swinging like Spider-Man swings, and it's that kind of style of 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 stopping people or fighting or whatever. In in the, in the 93 Miller reboot, Man Without Fear, uh, we, we're introduced to a figure from Matt's childhood that the comic book's never shown us before. A blind urban ninja monk called Stick. Yes, uh, and Stick sees sees Matt after the accident, um, seeks him out, and and becomes his sensei and trains him in the martial arts, and begins the mm. process of recruiting him to this uh, this almost religious sect of warriors called the Chaste um, mm. Martial Arts Warriors. Yeah, so that is from from ninety three onwards. That's where Matt gets his incredible fighting prowess. And he's acknowledged the Marvel Universe as being top, top tier. Because the the, the kind of the kind of secret ninjas that he trained with are just forgotten and lost to the to the to the rest of the world. Wow. Okay. I mean I'm kind of a bit like, oh, he just happens to be good and be actually gifted. I, I always think that's kind of a bit of a. I don't. I, do I want to say Deus Ex Machina, Rob? Do I want to say that because that isn't what a Deus Ex Machina no. is? No, no, that's that's something coming out of the blue at the end to solve a plot point. Um, it, 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 it's it's nearly a Mary Sue, isn't it? But not quite. It's just um, lazy. <laughs> it's just lazy. A JK. I am fine. We can call yep. it a JK if you want, mate. If you want to call it a JK, just a, JK. a character. Who, without earning anything, is just naturally superior to all the people around them that work very hard to try and earn the same thing. But they can just, on day one, do everything. It's fine. Muggle, JK, your, sure, sure. That's who your sympathies are with. Everyone's, everyone's sympathies are with the, <laughs> the, the child who doesn't earn anything, aren't they? Right? Oh god, the, the analogies about privilege and everything about the, about these books. I no, we, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, thank you so much for telling us about how good at punching people in the face without looking, mother, without looking, Matt Murdock is. <laughs> that is that is that is. I want to say tremendous, but I'm too angry. Uh, <laughs> I'm too angry at that. Anyway, back to back to the film. Trouble is happening with Matt's dad. One night, mob boss Fallon approaches Jack Murdoch and orders him to throw the big prize fight. But seeing his son cheering him on in the crowd, Jack can't bring himself to take a fall. So he fights on and wins. Outside the arena, 
Jack is brutally murdered by a shadowy figure and Matt is heartbroken by his father's death. I mean, it's very, very Batman-y, almost, you know, except like, you know, you know, it, it's, Thomas, it's Thomas very, and Martha Wayne didn't do anything and he sort it's of It's very, um, well, that's been retconned. Just oh, so damn. Okay. They end up retconning Batman so that actually, instead of it being a mindless crime that could happen to anyone, which is the whole point of Batman, it becomes a, uh, like, Thomas Wayne has been doing something that upset a mobster, so they sent someone specifically to kill him. Uh, did the same oh. thing with the Punisher in um, one of the Punisher movies, mm. where the one with the one with John Travolta, Instead of it being oh, caught in that... the crossfire, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of it being caught in the crossfire of a mob war, so it's senseless, and thus mm. um, Punisher's uh, rage has no direction, right? It, 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 if if it's an accident, yeah. just because two rival gangs are fighting, then the thing that you're angry at is all crime and all mobs. If it's because mm. one mobster kills your family on purpose then it's just death wish and it's just a revenge story you kill that mobster <laughs> the end um and it's kind of the same with batman batman's rage and batman's uh purpose and vow is to make sure no one suffers what he anyway uh what yeah. were we talking about <laughs> what were we talking about <laughs> um, oh yeah it's very yeah but that's very um that is very kind of comic book superheroes in general. Everyone's brother was killed by somebody. Everyone's parents died. Superman's parents originally died before he went out into the world. Um tragedy is the beginning of every hero's tale. Including Harry Potter's. Goes. Including Harry Potter's. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So it's pretty much yeah. You, uh, when you when you when you started saying retconned, I I was going oh no, this is the old rule, isn't it? You can retcon anything apart from Uncle Ben. Yes, you can retcon anything apart from. Well, originally, <laughs> it's not retcon. You can bring anyone back from the dead except that, from th- that uh, was it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Bucky, death. Gwen Stacy, yeah. and Uncle Ben, and that rule has shattered now. <laughs> Don't want left. Wow. But anyway, we leave tragedy behind as we go forward to the future. Or in this case, the present day. Uh, we fast forward. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I was doing there. So that, that, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that yeah. <laughs> There's a, um, th- this scene is very similar in, 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 in the comic books mm. uh, when, oh. when Matt's father is murdered. Um, but in the 60s, Jack Murdoch isn't an enforcer or a collector from the mob. He's not like Rocky. He's just an average Joe Boxer, no connection yep. to the mob, who one day gets told, FYI, the mob are fixing this fight you're about to be in, and you've got to lose. Yeah. Um, uh, in the in the in the the ninety three Frank Miller kind of re retooled reboots, that's where they created this idea that Jack is. Um, He's forced into being a tough guy for the mob and, and making collections, and and then he, later on he, he can't bring himself to, to to make a dive. So that enforcer thing is pretty much exactly the same in in the comics. Just the idea of the enforcer was uh, a modern a modern reboot, 
well, modern being 1993, which is over <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> Sorry. It's about, it's, I mean, this... I'll get on to her about how old this film uh, makes me feel later. But, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I am very yeah. sort of... I, I mean, I look at my face in the camera right now and I go, yeah, you're an old man. And then I watch this film and go, oh, God, shoot me now because <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> but anyway, should we continue with the film? Let's. We fast forward into the future. Or the, 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 <laughs> well, what is now the past or was then the present? Many years later, Matt Murdock has his own small law practice alongside his best friend foggy nelson matt practices law by day but when criminal jose quesada did i get it right quesada quesada escapes justice in the court matt goes after him at night as the masked vigilante daredevil to get jose matt fights his way through a dangerous bar full of cutthroats and criminals and chases him into the subway Matt knocks Jose onto the subway tracks and as the criminal begs for help, Matt watches on as the subway train kills the criminal. It's, um... I mean, Batman could learn a lot from this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sorts it out. It, it just... I mean, it's a, it's a brutal way of doing it because I was thinking, I was thinking, oh no, this is not going to be as brutal as a TV show. And it's like, oh, okay, it isn't as brutal, but it's getting there. That was pretty yeah. grim way to start off his first, well, on-screen kill. Um, also, is it a kill? Yeah. Is it a kill? If anything, he knocks him onto. Tra- if anything, in video game parlance, there's that word again parlance in video game parlance the train uh, did a kill steal <laughs> uh, he, he... do you think daredevil's really miffed he's like oh i had that one <laughs> i had that one i was gonna level up gonna upgrade my costume into the yellow thing Ooh. <laughs> it, it's it's interesting how they decided they 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 want to go very dark with this and this is darker yeah. than tim burton's batman oh, i'd yes. argue this is this is definitely darker than batman begins there's two yeah. big. This is yeah. this is the first thing, and then something happens at the end of the movie, which marks this as being much darker than Batman. Batman Begins, um, and and makes makes Daredevil decidedly an anti-hero rather than a hero, a traditional hero. Hmm. But it feels like they pulled back a little bit. Like he didn't, he doesn't throw him in front of the. They perhaps thought throwing him in front of a train would be too much, but he just taunts him. Yeah. As a train runs him over and doesn't help him, I think I think I think that considering what his crimes were, I think it's like yeah. I think I think it's just fine to let the train be the MVP and to kill kill steal. What was, what, what was this guy? What was this guy again? Who's this? Uh, he, he, uh, he, he was a what was his dirty old. Were? He was a dirty old rapist. Oh yeah, that's that's the lowest of the low, isn't it? So yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah so i was um, like so sorry you're gonna have to go under the subway train that's how the law works Mi- in New York. <laughs> miller's daredevil would definitely yep. let that happen uh, yeah that, i that can would, imagine it, it, yeah. Uh, 
other iterations might not. 90s Daredevil probably wouldn't. 60s and 70s definitely, definitely wouldn't. They would not not even have a, a rapist in the storyline. <laughs> you exactly. Because it's a comic book that kids are reading. Um, but, but yeah. Hmm. Also, the... Uh, I, I, I was questioning at first, like, why does he sleep in a sleep deprivation tank? That's Ponzi. But then it was like, oh, yeah, because because of the obvious scene that's been explained to me. He had sonar and he can hear things all the time. So he has to... I mean, that's freaky, isn't it? You're skipping ahead a bit there, but yes, that that is a... That that, that sensory deprivation thing is... Um, I thought it was a, a tremendous... Uh, a, a tremendous cool aspect of... Um, oh, yeah. Something that's not there, in, not there in the comic books at all. Um, it, it made me think and, of uh, like a, a vampire emerging from a coffin. I think that added a nice little edge mm. to it. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I, I, I just it does definitely adds adds shades of darkness to him, doesn't it? Oh yeah, totally. And speaking of vampires, it the fight scenes do feel like Blade. They've got that same edge that Blade did. Edge, Blade. See what I did there. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. It, 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 it's yeah. There's a there's a certain early two thousand. Uh, well, late nineties, early two thousands. There's a certain. I think it's the. I think a lot of it is the soundtrack played over the <laughs> over the fight scene that that make it feel in a certain way. Um, yeah. yeah, but it does. It does. It, it does really retain that that nineteen ninety eight Blade feel to it. It uh yeah I I was also going to say soundtrack as well I have never listened to this much new metal in a film if it was <laughs> from my memory this is the most amount of new metal I've listened to it was just I thought I heard Moby at one point but then I looked at the soundtrack and went oh it's not Moby someone who sounds like it's Moby. not Moby it's sadly not Moby. it's not Moby no yeah yeah I, I, I think it's one of those things where I look look at this film and go okay it's 2003 they're gonna have new metal in the soundtrack it's gonna look laughable but at the time it would have looked really cool but uh, do you want to take now... a trip through the soundtrack because we got have a lot got of it? comments about the soundtrack yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, one of the, 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 I think I think the most mentioned thing that we had in all the messages and comments about this movie was mm. aside from Peter J saying the soundtrack was awful. Everyone said, <laughs> and there's a lot of younger people. There's a lot of younger yeah. people saying how awesome the soundtrack was. Um, so we've got saliva, of course, um, and we've got <laughs> drowning pool. Not yeah, just drowning yeah. pool, but drowning pool featuring Rob Zombie <sighs> recording that is a special a special track called "Man Without Fear." Um, of course, Rob Zombie involved. Uh, of course, Hooperstanker here. Of course, Hooperstanker here. It's 2003. Where else would Hooperstank be? <laughs> Who did you think you heard on this record? You, th- you thought I you thought heard a little brother little of Moby. boldness? A little bit of what? Moby? You're damn right. You're damn right Moby's here. Evening Rain. Oh, yes. I'm so happy because I, I, I've listened to a lot of Moby. Not of the things he says, though. He's a bit of a git. Uh, I, 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 I like Moby. There was no uh, we've got twelve stones. We, we've got twelve stones on the record. We've got nappy roots. I'm not entirely sure I'm allowed to say that out loud. And we've got Nickelback. <laughs> and we've got uh, not one, but two Evanescent songs. Two Evanescent songs. Oh, we've obviously got the classic from. 
perhaps the worst scene we've we've ever seen in in this yeah. journey so far. Let's talk about this uh, later. Bring bring me to life. We've also got my immortal, which is the only other evanescent song you remember. There are only two, and it's those two. It's my immortal and bring me to life, and that's it. Are they are they still a thing, evanescence? Because it's. It's that I horrible. Don't, I, don't, I can't imagine they are. No, it, it, I think they existed in that short space of time where it was acceptable to listen to both goth music and new metal at the same time. Yeah, it's very. Uh, let's let's see. Are they still active? No, they stopped being active in two thousand and fifteen. Ah, oh. well, that they they there went we on go. far longer than I expect them to do. They had a they had a, they had a couple of breaks. They had a couple of breaks. While they were deciding oh, no, what wait, songs sorry, we can no, own. No, right. They're still active. Oh, God. They're still active. I'm sorry. They had a hiatus between 2007 and 2009, and then another hiatus, 2012 to 2015. My apologies to Evanescence and, of course, their legion of fans who might have been. Yes, we're, we're very uh, sorry to both of you. That. Yeah, we're f- both. Very sorry, Evanescence. <laughs> very sorry. Anyway. Yes, so we'll talk about. I'll talk about the Evanescence scene later because I was. I. I, I was just no. Save. I for can later. imagine you were part of it. I oof, save anyway. it for later. Save it for later. Save it for later. I, I'm going to spend more time saying save it for later than actually talking about it. Um, so, anyway, as we said, it is a very dark and violent start for Daredevil, letting the criminal get killed. I, 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 I'm going to predict the answer to this is yes, because Frank Miller was involved. Is he this kind of anti-hero in the comic books? It, it kind of it depends on the era, because to begin with, not at all. No, he's this swashbuckling hero, brightly coloured mm. costume. He does his amazing acrobatics, and he's kind of best friends with Spider-Man. And <laughs> you know, again, one of his main villains is Stilt Man. Uh, <laughs> He, he he also battles the circus of crime, who are circus an evil circus. <laughs> yeah, an evil what ringmaster. Be the circus <laughs> of evil. No, circus of crime. We're not that bad. We've already encountered the circus of evil in our journey. Will Ooh, let's take we? a trip back to the to the Hulk episode. Remember when oh, Hulk joined yes. the circus. And then remember in Avengers When um, we learned that Hawkeye Had his origins in a circus Yes Guess which circus both those circuses were The Circus of Crime (laughs) They're everywhere This is their third appearance on the podcast (laughs) They're more famous than a lot of heroes (laughs) That is a shameful name And I'll have nothing to do with it Oh it's amazing Hawkeye's only I think they've made more appearances than Hawkeye (laughs) On this podcast, <laughs> um, Circus of Crime. So yeah, to begin with, uh, no, he he would not do anything like this. He's not an anti-hero at all. He's very smiley and happy and friendly, um, and that the using Daredevil's secret identity, right? Mm. Like using Daredevil to solve the crimes and punish the criminals that Matt Murdock can't take care of, like he does here, mm. that's there for most of his existence, and it is probably right. the best use of any secret identity in any superhero comic in history. Because most mm. of the time, because they're intrinsically linked to yes, who he yes. is, 
outside and inside, right? He, he, he cannot achieve something in the court of law because as strongly as he believes in these things, he knows that law is, is, uh, is flawed. So he puts on a mask, goes out at night and seeks out real true justice and does, does you know, illegal things to a person that he definitely knows is, is um, a criminal because he can hear when they're lying and all of that. Like Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, none of them have real-world jobs or identities which tie in so tightly and beautifully with their costumed life, and they don't make perfect sense. There's, there's always the explanation given that Clark Kent works in a newspaper office so that he can learn about disasters quicker and fly off for yeah, help. Yeah, yeah, But he's, super, he's Superman. He can hear everything... And he's very, very fast. <laughs> I don't think he's, he needs... He's, he's got a subscription to the super early edition. Absolutely. Boom, um, boom, boom. But, but the, the anti-hero thing didn't start until uh, Frank Miller in, in, in the 80s. And then he becomes very aggressive and violent. And he, especially with Bullseye, which we'll get to, he does some very, very unheroic things... Although, I'm not sure even 80s Daredevil, I'm not sure even Frank Miller Daredevil, would chase someone to their death and then <laughs> taunt them as it happened. I mean, if it was Bullseye, yes, 100%. But mm. if he didn't have like a personal vendetta, I'm not sure he would do it quite like this. But I, I, I can't see him losing any sleep over. I mean, he would, because Matt's always guilty, but... It does mirror um, a scene in the in the sixties original story where Daredevil chases the fixer, the man who had his dad killed. Ooh, he finds him, chases him down, chases him into a subway. Um, but the the appearance of Daredevil is so frightening that this this fella dies of a heart attack, which is a bit cleaner. <laughs> so it's, he's an old he's an old fella. He's an older fella. Now that is a Deus Ex Machina. No, it's not. What are you talking about? <laughs> Let me say Deus no, it's Ex not. Machina. We're gonna. This is this is homework for another another another. God episode. reached down and stopped his heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? You, you you got me there. I can't argue with that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, you were saying. No, I was done. Or was that you can you were oh you were done right? Well, I was finished. I was finished. Finished. You finished. You finished. We'll get on with the we'll get on with the film then. We'll get on with the film. Daredevil's antics are gaining attention. Crime reporter Ben Ulrich urges the police to investigate Jose's death as the latest Daredevil case, but the cops insist that Ulrich is crazy. And that Daredevil is just an urban myth until Ulrich uncovers a flaming DD emblem the vigilante has left behind at the crime scene. Matt slinks back to his apartment where, bleeding and battered from the fighting, we he sees secret stash of Daredevil costume and weapons. Matt has to take a variety of prescription pills and painkillers just to get through the day. Haunted by the sounds of the city and the cries for help, he can't help but hear... Matt has to use a sensory deprivation tank in order to sleep. So, as we say, as we've been saying, lots of really cool and dark elements here. 
from the painkillers and the deprivation <clears throat> tank to pushing a letting a criminal die by train, which is a natural cause. Um, did the movie take these things from the comic books? The um, pe- basically no. I mean, mm. the sensory deprivation tank is a real brilliant. Edition that did not exist in any Daredevil comic, to my knowledge, up until this point, two thousand three. Um, and I always did wonder how someone like Superman, because it's shown that Superman can't, you know, he has to learn to tune some of these noises out. Yep. Obviously, Daredevil yep. in this movie is not able to do that. This is a brilliant. Uh, it's a really cracking. Um, it's a really cracking character building device. Painkillers. Um, no, but I, I would imagine, maybe, maybe in the 80s, but certainly after this movie came out, during uh, the 2000s run by a writer called Brian Michael Bendis, um, mm. then, yeah, th- that kind of thing was shown. And in the same way it is here, it fleshes out the character, it builds the kind of world of the character without it being always addicted to painkillers. That's not a story, <laughs> it's just... It's just part, um, part of it. Um, I think we've left Jose Quesada behind, um, and I just uh, feel we should mention he is named after Joe Quesada, the uh, the the publisher, well, the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. I think at this time, or maybe he, yeah, he would have been at this time. Mm. Um, Quesada is very much tied to Daredevil. Um, he's a a visionary artist and writer who is also a really great. Um, uh, pub, I guess publisher, yeah, and mm. Marvel in the nineties when they were desperately trying to get some traction, they handed over to Quesada a whole bunch of characters and basically had him run a section of Marvel out of his own art studio with his own. He could pick any writers he wanted, any artists and inkers he wanted, and they would he would be in charge. Of a whole section of the Marvel Universe, and it was called the Marvel Knights, K N I G H T S, um, and it uh, it was a lot of street level characters, and yeah. it featured a bold a bold kind of retuning of Daredevil, um, and Quesada had great links with a very popular rights director called Kevin Smith, and Kevin hey. Smith was brought on board. And did a relaunch of Daredevil, which tra- transformed Daredevil in the nineties, which had been suffering a lot, into the number one comic book anywhere in the world. Um, and he he also presided over reboots for the Inhumans and Punisher, and a lot of other a lot of other cool stuff went down. In in fact, this little subsect and 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 Daredevil was the, you know, so. You handed over a bunch of comic character characters that no one cared about to this kind of guy and said, "You run it. You run this little imprint." And then the stuff he's printing and publishing and creating is beating everything else Marvel is doing and everything else DC is doing. Uh, it didn't take too many people too long to decide that guy should run the whole company, and that's exactly what they did. <laughs> and uh, Quesada took over as editor in chief of. Marvel Comics, and that he launched the Ultimate Universe we talked about so much and reinvigorated um, so much mm. life into Spider-Man and the, 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 the those characters and created the blueprint for the Avengers movie with the Ultimate Avengers and yeah, 
So it's cool he gets a little nod here, as everyone does. And I don't know how much else we'll get to talk about Joe during this. He's still involved in Marvel. He's no longer editor-in-chief. I'm not entirely sure if he's publisher. I don't think he's publisher anymore either. I think he has a a, a very strong creative... um, Like he's one of these people that's kind of head of creative or or something like that at Marvel these days. I mean, that's that's great, but the important question is, was he ever hit by a train? (laughs) To to my knowledge, uh, overground or underground? Oh, yeah, that's that's good. Let's let's go with underground. Underground, I'll say underground. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think underground, no. It doesn't strike me as something that would happen to Joe, no. Overground, (laughs) listen, he lives his life. He's got a lot of friends. Who knows? Who knows? Because <laughs> that would have been a sneaky reference, if so. Cool. Are you done with Joe? You're done with Joe. That's I'm done good. with Joe. I'm done You're with done Joe. You're done with Joe. Put Joe in the corner. So back to the film. In the morning, the next day, Matt and Foggy meet for breakfast and lament their lack of well-paying clients. Matt meets the beautiful and talented Electra Nachios, and tries to learn more about her. Sensing a kindred spirit, sorry, spirit, Electra engages Matt in a playful sparring session in a playground surrounded by children. So, obviously... Is this... Is this... I'm getting in there before you do. Is yeah, this, yeah. Matt... Will... Matt? <laughs> Everybody's getting is stuff this wrong. Mm-hmm. The worst scene we have looked at so far in, in our journey... Uh, well, we haven't covered the, the uh, playground that scene. evanescent scene. Is it the was worst it scene? We, I think, was that evanescence yeah. playing? Oh God, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's bring me to life, whatever it's called. I forget. Wake me they, up. All their songs sound the same. I thought that was is played it, during. Is, is the hmm. let's not focus on that. Let's is it that. the the seesaw fight? Yeah. The children watching. You're holding back. Don't. Is is it the worst thing we've seen? I don't want to say it's the worst thing I've seen because I can think of worse things, but I can't think can of them. Can you? I say, I'm trying. I'm trying. This podcast is going to go four hours worse, because I'll, I'll be struggling to think. I, uh, it I don't didn't, think, I mean... Other things struck me worse in this movie, film. What are the bad movies that, that, we, that, we, that we've... I mean, Fantastic Four has some clunky moments in it. Right, well, uh, yeah. X Men isn't perfect, but I can't think of a worse scene well, than anything. Well, I, I, yeah, I was going to go with lines, but no, no, I think, I think this is, yeah, you're right. This is so far in the history, in, in in the podcast. This is this is the in, worst scene. The it's got to be. I think it is. Yeah, it's just it, yeah. it just I felt mean, we, like we, they're not they're not fighting. They're dancing, or even better, they're not dancing. They're making love, and it's it like, and it's in a playground. It's, so it's like it's hitting us over the head with this idea that ah, oh, you hit the girl you really like, and and that means you really like. Oh. You know, that's what it's kind of doing. Oh, it's that. Oh, I just it just you know, and the girls mm. and the boys are separated in the playground, and they're cheering them on, and it's terrible. It's not. This is nineties. This yeah. is very, very nineties. Yeah, it yeah, it, it it was clunky as hell. But I mean, it 
how else are you going to you kind of there needs to be a way of introducing daredevil to electra and they need to, to, to really communicate the fact that oh by the way electra she can beat people up as well you know you need yeah to- it, it it felt like they really needed to try and serve a lot of masters they need to flirt and be playful, but they need mm-hmm. to immediately know that the each other is, I don't know, physically dangerous for some reason. Ah, it's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. But I think we should delve into the actual character. So what can you tell us about Daredevil and Electra? And yes, I am aware of how long this bit could take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we'll, try, we'll try and not. Well, we'll do our best. Do um, do what you need well, to do. Uh, do you do you do you? <clears throat> well, ma- essentially, because I, I I do want to make sure that I save enough choice bits for when we cover Electra in the awful film that she's in that we'll have to do at some point because um, someone will tell so, us to do it and pay us money to do it. Someone will tell us to do it. <laughs> That's the joy of Patreon. You can make us do <laughs> things like like no one's no one's literally like someone has said you need to do how the duck, but they already chose a project so they don't get to choose again unless they I don't know, maybe they maybe they up their amount or something. Um so mm. Electra um is a, is a Frank Miller Creation introduced in, in in the eighties as part of this this gritty new new series and this new direction that Daredevil goes on, and Daredevil encounters this dangerous new assassin bounty hunter uh, who's a ninja, and then he recognizes her as his old college girlfriend, who ah. was basically the the first love of his life. Hmm. Um, they met in college. Her father was a shady Greek businessman, an ambassador who was killed by assassins, and she left, and he never saw her again. But they shared a very strong connection. Then she turns up again here. Um, and that gets fleshed out in, in the Man Without Fear series from 93. And, I, right, I'm well aware that everything I'm about to describe <laughs> in Electra, Yes. It sounds like when a guy says... Oh, my girlfriend, oh yeah, she was a psycho. And then paints yeah. this disturbingly unrealistic picture of what a person cannot possibly be, right? Mm. Um, and if Electra was created and written by a woman, I think I'd have a lot more sympathy <laughs> for the character traits. But I think some of this is tainted by the fact that, you know, if you listen to Frank Miller in interviews, you don't want to listen to Frank Miller interviews anymore. So, here we go. <laughs> she... Electra is this this reckless adrenaline junkie when when Matt meets her. She's incredible with, with martial arts and unknown to everyone around her, her family and her friends and Matt, she has a darkness that borders on psychopath. Hmm. And she, she, she first sees Matt Murdoch leaping around rooftops at college and she immediately thinks that they have a lot in common. They're a kindred spirit because of his physicality because of the secretiveness of his of his nature because he's leaping around from rooftops he must be an adre- a reckless adrenaline junkie like me so she leads a trail of her clothes along Ooh. rooftops so that her scent lures matt to her apartment or her dormitory or whatever and then when he arrives like in a tree <laughs> like like why have I been led here? She has 
she calls the cops and has him arrested. Um, and she's like smirks as he gets arrested. And from that point on, Matt is obsessed with this woman. This woman wow. is exciting and she's nuts. And she li- like literally led me around by the nose. This woman is really special. On, on their first <laughs> date, she takes him to a cliff edge. And she has this thing of, let's see how close we can get to the edge of the cliff without falling off. And then she falls off, and she falls and plummets off a cliff, into Oof. breaks through the ice, into the water, and then Matt frantically dives in to try and save her, and he can't find her anywhere, and then she's just fine on the shore, laughing. Ha 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 ha. Look how much you went through to... Ha 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 ha. Oh, um, God. At one point, she lures him to her apartment again, and her security guards shoot him, and she doesn't stop playing the piano the entire time they're shooting uh... at him, and he gets shot in the shoulder. Uh, but he's still, mate, he's still into her. <laughs> uh, and then Matt discovers that she is a student of his mentor, Stick, and that yes. they're both being trained and considered to join the, the chase, the, the sect. Um and stick like one morning matt wakes up in the early morning or middle of the night and stick is just perched on the end of his bed in a in a like a spider-man style crouch and he's like mm. you got to stay away from her she's mental you have to stay <laughs> away from her matt she's dark and she's twisted and she's just bad news but matt's head over heels and he ignores that and he carries on they have this relationship and then her dad dies and he doesn't see her again until he's Daredevil. And mm. um, a lot of other stuff happened in our life, which is best saved for when we do Electra's movie. Yeah, yeah. But she turns up, um, she returns to New York, and to begin with, she's like this bounty hunter assassin. They team up together to fight the hands and, and fight Bullseye. And there are these, there are these glimpses uh, that maybe that she still cares about Matt and remembers him fondly, and that there might be something there. They have this irresistible animal attraction, and it's completely <laughs> toxic, as I have just described. It's completely yes. toxic, and it's self destructive, or it's not self destructive, it's self destructive for Matt to keep doing it. But Matt, and this is something that is also introduced, this is a key thing about Matt that I think. Is it? In, he has a lot of relationships, but it's really introduced here in Miller's run. Matt is very weak when it comes to women, and mm. he really can't. He struggles to walk away, and he can't really resist, especially bad girls, femme fatales. It's the classic noir film noir trope, yeah. right? Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. or or paradigm. Or it, it is that Matt. Yeah, he is a sucker for. He, he's hard on the outside, but he's a bubbling softy. He's a real romantic on the inside. And so he attracts these femme fatales that just destroy his life. <laughs> but he can't really... And he know, he, half the time he knows it's going to happen, but there you go. Electra becomes like the ultimate Marvel femme fatale. It's... Um, you say... Because she's Greek, isn't she? She is basically... She is Greek. Yeah. All I could think was was my ex. Because my ex was Greek. And... Uh. and uh, I don't. I don't want to cast a stereotype. Uh, <laughs> I, I know a lot of Greeks, fantastic people, amazing uh, barbecue, uh, great, great, great to party with. But I have to say, she did have her moments, and there was one time I'll never forget <laughs> because her mum's from Crete, um, and I was staying over at the, the, the place in Athens, 
and and she, and uh, mum couldn't speak English. She was talking to her name's Irini, talking to Irini, uh, my 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 ex, and and. She, and she explained something like you know it was a joke and then I was like what are you two laughing at and she went oh you know she's saying uh, ha, you don't mess with women from Crete because uh, ee, 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 and mimicking a psycho stabbing thing so yeah, uh, and I was like to, yeah, threatening to murder is, yeah. and I was just there and going this is, this is great humour this is great banter <laughs> <laughs> this is great humour about my inevitable murder <laughs> I yeah. I was genuinely convinced at some point there would be trouble when I when we broke up, but she was very. We were both did it amicably and well 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 behaved and everything. But oh, fiery! People. So far, will so far, but I, someone has got a wedding coming up, and who knows what melodramatic thing could happen on the wedding day. <laughs> oh God! Don't make me think about that. <laughs> that would be a good plot uh. twist, though. That'd be a good plot twist. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Enough of the Greek women. Uh, <laughs> it's just, let's get back to the film. And now, enter Fisk. And I regret writing that down. It just <laughs> I regret writing. It sounds. So it's wrong. so close to being a big mistake, isn't it? It's so close. Yeah. 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 Anyway, to being enter a web Fisk. search that you don't want to do. Yeah. On a full. I want to spell that properly. Elsewhere yeah. in the city, businessman Wilson Fisk is secretly pulling the strings of an organized cri- of all organized crime in New York City. And while the media speculate about this kingpin of crime figure, his identity is a secret. Feeling the heat from the press, Fisk conspires to set up his retiring partner, Nicholas Natchios, Electra's father, and have him implicated as the kingpin. Fisk tells his minions to summon the assassin, Bullseye. So, Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace, great, act, fantastic actor. I, 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 I love him, and I think he was very well cast here. Even though he was essentially just going, "I'm a big, big gangster. That's all I'm doing. I'm just." There's a huge amount of talk at the time about this not being right because of the because of the different race of the actor to the character as, as yeah. written in the in the comics. I I, I was I think that the, the 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 first time that I'd kind of come across this in um, mm. in in popular culture, and uh, it, yeah, it was it was I think that you know I think he was. He's a good actor. Um, he doesn't get to do hardly anything in this movie, though. I mean, that's why yeah. I think there's a bit more in the extended scenes and the extras and the extra scenes. But he doesn't get to do anything really. You know, just there's that thing right at the very end. Um, but he has a, yeah. a, 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 a he carries a power and a gravitas with him, and that's not just because of his physical size and stature. I mean, mm. it's 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 his personality and his and his and his acting that he's able to convey a lot of that, which is what the character needs. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I I will say though I'm, that this I'm, film. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I was a little yeah. concerned when the character was introduced. They were playing, um, that rock star song, which has kind of a hip hop beat to it, and I was a little concerned straight away that they were going to take the character in a. Oh, he's black, so we have to make him like a, 
you know, like a, a like a stereotypical black criminal rather yeah. than this overarching kingpin pulling the string. So I was quite pleased that they did. He's got quite, you know, he, he pulls strings nicely. He sets someone up and he does this, that and the other. So they kept the, the spirit of the character. I just was a little, because, you know, you've got to be careful with Hollywood because they ain't always, you know, good peeps. No, no, they're not. So, what was I going to say? What was I going to say about 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 Will's confidence? I mean, um, oh, I'm really annoyed. It's gone straight from my head. Oh, that was it. I was going to say that this film, I think, suffered the same problems as most Batman films: too many villains at once. Um, well, especially oh. yeah, especially because like Electra becomes kind of an antagonist as well, sort yeah. of briefly. Sort of, um, but it's it's it's, it's it the, makes me it's think the they, problem they with yeah. them. Dis- it's the problem with them deciding they want to do the Electra story straight away. The yeah. Electra story really needs to have Fisk and Bullseye and Electra. That's that's you know that's, a, that's kind of a lot of characters. It's too much. It's I mean it's it's I like the way they've got all out. They've gone out you know firing all cylinders as you said, but at the same time it's like. You could have paced this and say, and you know, planned towards a sequel, but I think they wanted a quick cash in by the look of it. What we've seen from Netflix is that it's most, it's best suited for a prestige, long format drama. Yeah, I, I, I think Simple it works as. so well. Even though I will argue that all Marvel series on Netflix would do a lot better with half the episode amount. I think they could have got Dead, done a Daredevil lot is. Daredevil is perfect, mate. It's perfect. Honestly, Daredevil okay. is perfect. I went. Oh, I, I, there's not a single episode you can take away. Okay. Okay. And so is Jessica okay. Jones. Anyway, let come on. Oh, I love Jessica Jones. That was good. Maybe Iron Fist, but that's a different kettle of fish. Anyway, uh, so is there any connection uh, in the comic books between the Kingpin and Elektra? Uh, is her father involved with Fisk's organization, or is this just the movie directors squishing things together? It's the yeah, it's the, it's the the movie people squishing things um, Ugh, together. Squishing uh, so much. He, he's Hugo Natius uh, in the comic Natchez. books, a, a businessman and a Greek ambassador. Um, there's no connection between Fisk and Hugo. I right. I tried to look into this to to um, confirm it. I believe that there was a connection like this of Fisk mm. being business partners with a with a guy, and then he dies, and the daughter ends up work. Oh, it's Echo! It's what? Echo! Man, I, this this bugged me. I I thought that Fisk had this relationship with um, a, a Daredevil villain called Typhoid Mary, and that they'd swapped <laughs> that that origin in here for. Electra's kind of background and origin, but it's not Typhoid Mary. It's Echo, who is a a character that I think was created after this, so they haven't folded that in at all. There's a um a Daredevil character called Echo who is um deaf and virtually mute, or at least to begin with mute, and she is able to perfectly and completely replicate someone's movements by watching them she's able to echo them uh, similar to the the marvel villain taskmaster um and 
Daredevil, uh, Fisk kind of manipulates her father and her, and when he finds out she has a special ability, he kind of turns her into his own personal bodyguard slash assassin and puts her up against Daredevil. And uh, that's that. I'm so so pleased I remembered that because I was I was searching through the history of Typhoid Mary, thinking this is um, did I imagine this? But no, it was just <laughs> Echo, and that has nothing to do with this because Echo was created. You know, she might have been created around this time, but it certainly it certainly didn't influence the movie. So I'm yeah, looking at uh, pictures of her right now. She's very attractive. Of Echo, yeah. Oh, the right have they one. made her into a? Have they made her into a character? Character like a like a movie? No, she's not. Is no, she no, no team, movie like, character. Like a, I'm looking at the. You're looking, looking at, at, at the comic. You're getting drawings. turned on by 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 drawings. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, man's man's got to have a code. Man's got to have a code. <laughs> so yeah, no no connection between um, her, uh, Electra's father, uh, uh, but Kingpin and Electra have a connection because once Bullseye is out of the picture, Electra murders all of Fisk's bodyguards to gain his attention, Ooh. and then Electra becomes the Kingpin's chief assassin. Oh damn. Mm. Mm. I mean that, that. I mean that's 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 how you. That's what they tell you to do in an interview situation: is to eliminate all be the competition. A, and eliminate the competition. Be a, be a go getter. Show initiative. Yeah. Show initiative. Show initiative and the blood of your enemies. Anyway, uh, that's how you get it done. <laughs> that's how you get it done. Anyway, anyway. Meanwhile, in Ireland. Or is it Ireland? Because that was the worst Irish accent on one of the people I've ever heard. If it's in Ireland, or maybe it's England, and he's. It's just because they're playing. Uh, they're playing shipping out to Boston or something. I'd imagine. I thought it was Boston. I thought it was Boston. But anyway, we meet Bullseye, an Irish assassin with a target tattooed onto his forehead. He's winning a pub bet by throwing darts at the Bullseye without looking. When someone insults him. Bullseye kills them by throwing paper clips into their throat. Bullseye <laughs> flies to America. Just, I, I'll get on to Bullseye in a bit. I am going to read this perfectly written sentence about what happens in the film. But then I will talk about Bullseye. <laughs> uh, Bullseye flies to America next to a snoring old lady. He flicks a peanut, ricocheting it off the seat in front of him and lodging it in the old lady's mouth causing her to choke to death. Matt meets Electra on the street and takes her up to the rooftops where he played as a boy. Matt explains his ability to read sound waves and explains that as it rains, he'll be able to quote-unquote see her through all the raindrops landing on her. They share a kiss, but Matt begins to hear the cries of people in trouble and has to abruptly leave so Daredevil can swing into action. Okay, so bullseye. Can I can I get another yeah. read on that, please? Just as your voiceover, just your voiceover coach. Can I get another read? Quote unquote. C. You want to hit C. You you C. were hitting all the other words after. You were hitting quote unquote. See her through all the. You just, quote unquote. See her through all the raindrops landing on her. That was that was the read that we were looking for. That that was that was the that was the that was that was that was the read we were looking for. <laughs> but I have no. Actually, I I would wouldn't mind doing that. So thank you for the. Uh, unsolicited <laughs> advice uh, on, 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 on how I should do tone and emphasis. Anyway, that was wrong. Anyway, so 
Bullseye. What to say about Bullseye, apart from the fact that I used to dress exactly like him on stage? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe something for the Patreon, or if someone just searches me on Facebook, who knows? Um, everything about Bullseye, down to the way he acts, down, you know, obviously because he killed a few people for no reason other than being mildly annoyed. Uh, like the way he dresses, the way he acts, everything about him screams illegal. Like, he is... Yeah, yeah. He, he's getting pulled over a lot, isn't he? He's... <laughs> Yeah, he 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 looks like someone who, I mean, he he just looks like a drug dealer who's just started being a drug dealer and knows nothing about subtlety yet. Like he is. There's just... one of the one of the extended scenes in the director's cut or whatever it's called is him going through airport security, and I have to say, it's a, I think it's positive they left that scene out. I haven't seen the scene, but um, Ooh, hello. It would immediately raise questions of, yeah, that guy's not getting on a plane. <laughs> there's, there's no way post nine eleven, anyone looking like he looks is getting on a plane. It's not happening. Yes, but not without but, but, a but, line but of dialogue. Looking, or, or, yeah, I was about to say not not without they're, a scene where the, where the kingpin yeah. arrange. God damn it! <laughs> not not without a scene where the kingpin kind of arranges. You know, uh, like special transport or, or, or something like that. That would have made a lot of sense, but he's had to fly economy. And I was about to say, it's okay. Yeah. They're, they're not going to stop him. He's white. You know, <laughs> it's like most suspicious, <laughs> most suspicious white oh, yeah. guy. Maybe that's. Yeah. Maybe right after nine eleven, there was no suspicion left for white people. Maybe I'm, you could look like the biggest meth dealer in, in, in the, on the West Coast and you'd just slip through. And it's five years after the Good Friday Agreement, so Irish are fine as well. So yeah, it's just... Oh, man. Yeah. The one well, thing about the, um, the paper clips to the throat is yeah. it, it would have been... If it, was, if it was one, that would have been a lot better. Yeah. The fact that he has to stand there and keep doing it with a lot of them really lessened the impact on me. If he'd been able to just do one, I would have been very impressed. It would have been like uh, Joker with the uh, with the feather pen. The pencil, I yeah. S- yeah, oh, that bit, that bit. That, I mean, that, that's just one, and that, makes, that always gets me when he, when he does it. And then this, I mean, what got me with that scene wasn't the paper clips going into the guy's throat, but I think the guy's throat, it was like... I didn't know where his chin started and his throat began. Yes, it, it became like, a sudden uh, kind of plastic uh, frog kind of uh, throat yeah, it, all of a sudden. It, 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 it made me feel like it was a prosthetic. Anyway. It was. I would, it, Yeah, it, I mean, obviously it was, but it was just, it was just like, oh, you know, it was a bit, bit overkill, but as you say, lessened. So anyway, let's get, let's get on to the important part. So, girls, it didn't take Matt long to start snogging a girl he just met. So, is that just a Hollywood thing, or is Matt Murdoch? You said earlier he's he, he has a thing for fate, femme fatales, but is he a bit of a ladies' man? Is he? Sounds like you want the list. Do you want the list, Will? Do you want the list? Sounds like you want the I, list. I want to see the notches above Daredevil sleep deprivation tank where he nearly drowns someone having <laughs> sex. Okay, Electra, 
his secretary Karen Page slash love of Good. his life. Uh, Moon Dragon of the Guardians of the Galaxy. What, who, um, Moon Dragon. The villain Typhoid Mary. Typhoid the Mary. I hope Ninja you Hero Echo. Uh, okay. The Private Eye Dakota North. Um, Spider Man's ex Black Cat. His okay. best friend yep. Foggy's yep. sister. Can't remember her name. Um, District Attorney uh, Kirsten McDuffie and mm-hmm. Black Widow. Uh, that's Black ten. Widow. Okay. Um, and that is not including the ones that he married. Um, <laughs> so he's a bit, bit of an yeah. old horn dog. He's a, he's a bit of an old horny he, devil. He traditionally gets around a lot more than than Tony Stark does. Um, and he's always, always, always a hit with the ladies. Always. Um, he's. Yeah, there's a funny moment in in the latest series where Foggy is baffled that even though Matt is blind, every woman he's dated has looked like an international model. And he can't <laughs> understand that. <laughs> How do you? And it literally comes this weird thing of like sniffing them out to a certain extent. Yeah, did, 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 I, I, it reminds me of uh, Arrested, not Arrested Development. Uh, I was thinking another one, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where the blind guy, his blind friend. Uh, has a girlfriend and he goes oh yes she's a model oh, and yeah. she's clearly not a model <laughs> and it's so cringy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah okay, Matt so is a ladies man Matt is, Matt is a, well if maybe if they you know got other people to play him apart from attractive men uh, it'd be yeah anyway I'm just being jealous so the guys suit up Matt and Foggy attend a black tie event where Ben Ulrich takes a special interest in Matt's cane, which secretly, secretly doubles as his fighting baton. Wilson Fisk tries to recruit Nelson and Murdoch as his latest lawyers. Despite being broke, Matt turns Fisk down, saying they can only defend people they think are innocent. Later, Burn! Burn! Burn Burn on you, Wilson! Yeah, Wilson. Sorry, we don't defend criminals. Ooh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... Sorry, where was it? Well, I I was too busy posing to mark where I was. So, (laughs) hey, maybe we should video these and put them on the uh, Patreon. Actually, no. no Never. Never, never. We're pure. So, later, Bullseye strikes at Nicholas Nachios, attacking his limo from a distance. With Electra caught in the crossfire, Daredevil engages Bullseye in combat, but fails to prevent the assassination. Bullseye kills Nicholas with Daredevil's baton, implicating him in the murder and escaping before anyone else sees him. Daredevil tries to explain, but an enraged Electra swears revenge on him. So, just thought about this. Again, another Batman thing. Like when Batman returns, where the penguin frames Batman, because the the the, the Miss Christmas, you know, you know, they're, they're lying at the Christmas tree, and he has the penguin has those bats in an umbrella, and then they, you know, she, he fires the bats at this the, the woman, and the woman falls falls to her death. I don't remember that bit of that movie. No, no. Oh, okay, but and the whole idea was ah. It's like, it's Batman, and, and people think he frames Batman, but it's like, Batman doesn't have that power. <laughs> Batman doesn't fire <laughs> bats at people. <laughs> I mean, that'd be pretty uh, cool. When, but, they, yeah. when, when they originally introduced Catwoman, she did used to throw cats at Batman and Robin. That was one of the things she did. 
She would throw violent. <laughs> she would throw angry, violent cats at them. Yeah. I um. Sorry, all I'm getting now is it's the, it's a, it's a, you can cross this off on your bingo card. By the way, Simpsons reference is crazy cat lady. Yeah, <laughs> cats. <laughs> and yeah, Anne Hathaway refused to do it. Well, yeah, she can. Never. No, no, I won't say the terrible pun that I used in my blog review of that film, which you can't find online anymore. Uh, I'll get back to it. Let's get back to this film. Uh, Bullseye in this scene, uh, he came in on a Harley Davidson without wearing his helmet, I might add. Very, very, very bad man. <laughs> uh, did, was it, what was he doing? Was he standing on it? Was it was, he was standing on the, on the motorbike or something, wasn't he? He was... Yeah, he was standing on the motorbike. Yeah, what a tosser! I just... Yeah, he's a he's a he's not a good he's not a good guy. He's not a good person. He's a maniac. He's doing I... maniac things. I know, but it's like there's there's doing maniac things, and then there's oh, I hope this gets me likes on Instagram. Like that's like, that's the kind of maniac he I just is. Think he's. I think um, it, it would have been interesting um, to see. Because he he's a complete thrill he's a he's an adrenaline junkie he's a thrill seeking yeah. adrenaline junkie in this movie and Electra isn't and in the comic books Electra is and Bullseye isn't um, it's an odd oh. th- 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 there's no universe where they're both thrill seeking adrenaline junkies at the same time because that would have been a nice little dichotomy or or similarity um, I but, yeah I, he's, I, dis- I disagree. I think it would have made both characters unbearable. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, this is possibly yeah. true. I, I, I'm really sorry to sound like the boring old man of, oh, he's riding without a helmet again. <laughs> but, it's, but it's like, you've got to have, one person's got to be crazy and the other person's got to be law-abiding. I think, I think there's, it gets a bit too much. Otherwise, you just end up with the, another the point no helmet really. The no helmet really bugged you, didn't it? <laughs> It's it. It wouldn't have bugged me if he was riding within the uh, speed limit. Oh God! If, <laughs> but you've got to reinforce the audience that this is an a ne'er do well. Yeah, that's why I hate him. He's a ne'er do well. <laughs> it's like fair enough. And, and 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 he killed a man with someone else's weapon, which is badass, but very illegal. Uh, very rude. <laughs> Very improper, as we'd say. Very so, impolite, yeah. And we could tell he has a real joy for killing, obviously. But, I mean, dare, dare I ask, was that something Colin Farrell brought to the role? Or was he always like this? Or is, there, is, it, is it there in the original comics? <clears throat> yeah, because in, in the movie, he does have like this like this like perverse glee doesn't he uh, at killing yeah. people he's like his eyes bug his eyes bug <laughs> out and he kind of like licks his lips and he gets kind of like really like uh, uh, yeah like that yeah he's a, i mean he's a sick sick puppy in the comic books he's racked up a lot of bodies out even outside of you know contracted assassinations he's racked up a lot <laughs> of bodies he has he has a total disregard for human life, but I mm. don't know if by 2003 he'd been shown to like perversely enjoy it in in the mm. comic books. I tell you one thing um, though: has he? I, I, I know, one th- oh, sorry to interrupt, but has he ever pushed someone on a subway and taunt them? Not to my knowledge, no. Not, not to my, my knowledge. knowledge. Mm. 
Um, but as we go forward in this, you will see some messed up stuff he's done. I know Yay! that um, an influence on this movie is that Kevin Smith 1999 story we talked about, Guardian Devil, where mm. Bullseye, like almost incidental to what he's about to do, just murders a bunch of nuns for no reason. Just like, and he 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 would go on to. I mean, well, I'd be careful because. That is that is down the line, but in it before nineteen ninety nine, he it's it's almost an aside as he's going towards doing something. It's like he just throws these weapons in another direction just to kill nuns, kind of off camera, just as a why not? Um, and right after he's killed a bunch of nuns, he then murders Daredevil's longtime close friend and ex girlfriend Karen Page. Ooh. Who again with Daredevil's baton? Who we see uh, as the secretary in in this movie, brief, very, very briefly, m- m- was a major character in in the first two decades of the comic books, like barely in the movie, um, and and in later years, um, Marvel, especially during the Dark Reign era that we talk, we keep talking about. Yeah. Bullseye is definitely depicted as taking sick pleasure in killing, like really, like loving it. He's depicted during Dark Reign as it being a psychological need, like he's mm. addicted to it. He joneses for it. If you can't get the right kind of kill spree going, the right kind of murder going, um, he he is uh, he's not right. He's antsy. He's distracted. He's he's messed up. You know, almost in a way that perhaps Dexter would would kind of show. Dexter has that yeah, yeah. dark compulsion. The TV series and Bullseye has some of that, although none of the moral compunction. So maybe, but that as I said, that's down the line. So maybe, maybe that all started that joy of it here with with Colin Farrell. Um, I, I I can't think of of Bullseye being like this before it, but I can think of him being a bit like it after so it's possible that Colin Farrell's kind of over the top performance here influenced Marvel Comics and, and changed the character it would, it would it would make sense because he's taking it to his extreme I mean it's it, it, dare I say dare I say a bit cringy <laughs> but I think it's kind of needed he's the only one doing it in the movie so that makes it stand out yeah, um, yeah, he's 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 like the breakout character. I think I think that he's I I think from seeing some interviews with him, not necessarily referencing this, but referencing his first American movies, he was very unsure what they wanted from him, what he needed to do because he was used to a lot more small acting, you know, regular mm. regular normal acting, like in small movies and maybe on the stage, but mainly in small movies. And and I he, he talks about being very overwhelmed and really not sure what, you know, the, the pressure of being paid millions of dollars for mm-hmm. a role and and not knowing what that what does that translate into in terms of a performance. So I could, you know, he wasn't thinking specifically about this movie, but I can kind of draw a parallel there and think that well, a comic book is big and bold and over the top. So that's what I that's what I've got to do, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, th- I think that's that's very, very nineties before the MCU and the Dark Knight series really kicked in, and they were going, "Oh, comic book superhero movie, just be over the top." 
That's that's how, that's how all, it all went to, didn't it? Just be. Yeah, I think so. Um, and you know, the, the, the Dark Knight movies are, are not understated. <laughs> they are very over the top in 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 the way they go about things, and a lot of their performances are as well. Whereas I think we're in this kind of odd, nebulous period post nineties, pre MCU, where the rules are just up in the air, aren't they? You've yeah. you've either got you've either got uber family friendly Fantastic Four. <laughs> you've got super dark, weird Daredevil, or you've got like the incredibly perfectly sort of made and cast Spider-Man movies. It's um weird, weird period of time. Mm, incredibly. Anyway, back to the film. At Fisk's building, Fisk enters his office to find his men have all been murdered and Bullseye is sitting behind his desk. Fisk congratulates Bullseye for a job well done. The world believes Nachios was the kingpin and that Daredevil murdered him. Now Fisk says Bullseye's next target is Daredevil himself. Bullseye agrees, but demands a costume. So this is the best... This confused me. This confused me. Yeah. Bullseye demands a costume. Yeah. Does he get a costume? Is that meant to be a joke? I was thinking maybe that was Was a joke. Was it meant to be like... Oh... I think he was going. It, <laughs> he was going. If I'm going to go after a freak, I want to dress like a freak or something like that. Well, then Maybe. it wasn't delivered that way, and no one reacted to it like being a joke. I was expecting him to have like a different outfit in the next scene. Are you accusing the actors in this film for delivering their lines wrong? A little this... bit, yes. Like you know, like I did with you earlier. <laughs> the same. I want to no, go I back and I... ring Colin Farrell up and go. Was that a joke? What was that meant to be? <laughs> I. T- I don't know. I th- I th- uh, I I I I think it was a joke. Anyway, I think it's that it is the best time to get to death about Bullseye. So, what can you tell us about him? Is he Irish? Is he mad? Does he have a target on his face? And does he flaunt the highway code? <laughs> I've got no information on the highway code. I'm very sorry. I know that's the only thing you're interested in right now, but I cannot help you about the highway code. Makes me um, bloody he mad. He is not. Irish. Uh, he is definitely insane, and he doesn't have a target necessarily on his head. And when right. I say necessarily, um, yeah, he he has a. He's introduced in the seventies. Uh, he has this costume that is black and white, and kind of has like, kind of has a bullseye. It's kind of like the concentric circles of a black and white bullseye all over the costume if that makes yeah. sense does that make sense <laughs> i'm looking um, I've, I've looked at and he pictures this, of him while i was watching the film so yeah yeah he has this amazing ability to have a perfect aim and to be able to turn anything into a weapon but he's not super powered he's not a mutant um mm. he's just very 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 good at it and later stories would kind of explain a special forces background or whatever but to begin with he's just He's got a very supervillain costume. He's a very he's a very seventies supervillain. He begins as an extortionate, you know, very very eager for publicity. So he he calls Daredevil out and wants to beat him up on TV to gain mm. um, fame. Yeah, um, and he gets beat several times in a row by Daredevil, and then he goes on this brutal killing spree 
that seems to have no rhyme or reason and he's suddenly murdering people left right and center and and it, he he's hallucinating that everyone he sees on the street is daredevil who who has embarrassed him so publicly and who he wants revenge on so he starts murdering everyone around him and and that that story reveals that he's got a tumor pressing on his brain causing all these wild thoughts and hallucinations Ooh. Um, yeah that that gets removed and he kind of resets him to being just regularly crazy um his his Ooh. fight with electra is very very famous and, and we will get to that you know a little bit later on um but he becomes more and more bloodthirsty and insane as as time goes on him and daredevil have this blood feud really uh, where where bullseye has murdered two of daredevil's ex-girlfriends and matt has done some truly uh some truly effed up stuff to to bullseye in revenge during one period of time bullseye began wearing daredevil's costume and posing as him and the problem with that is he then started to actually believe he was uh daredevil so matt had to put on the old bullseye costume to beat some sense into him uh, they, they they changed his look in the comic books directly after this movie came out. They ditched the costume. They had him wear the the leather duster, mm-hmm. and they gave they they made him bald, and they gave him a target tattoo on his forehead, just like uh, in this movie. And the first time he sort of reappears in 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 this new form or this new look, he's working for the kingpin again. He breaks into Matt's apartment to try and murder Matt's new wife. He waits for Matt to leave, and then it's like, I'm going to. And he literally says, I'm going to make it three for three. But Matt, uh, it stops him, beats, like, really badly beats him, beats the hell out of him. And, And as he's beating him in the street, he's taunting him with some deeply personal secrets that Matt has discovered about Bullseye. Bullseye's been away for a while, and and Matt's been away for a while as well. And Matt and Matt says like, "I went looking for you. I had this time away, right? And I went looking for you. I was going to finish you. I was just going to finish you. I wasn't going to tell anyone. I was, no one was going to know about it. I was going to find you, and I was just going to finish you. But I didn't find you. But I did find all about your prostitute mother." Ooh. And I found about your the, your dad who never wanted you, and, and he starts reading off all this as he's beating him up. He he just starts yeah mocking him with these deeply personal secrets that he's discovered. He mocks the 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 target tattoo on his forehead, <laughs> and then Matt Matt takes a sharp rock and begins to dig it into Bullseye's forehead and carve. Into his skin over the tattoo. Oh God! He carves the target as a scar, telling Ooh. him as he's doing it, "You're so sick that one day, Bullseye, you will actually kill yourself, and no one will care, and no one will notice, and I'll come and pee on your grave. Ooh. And when you do it, I want you to put the bullseye. I want you to put the bullet right here where I've carved on your head. So." It gets very intense between them, but that's how 
his look evolves in the comic books to reflect how we see him in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's an intense look. I, 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 I shudder to think that someone's actually got that tattoo on their head. <laughs> oh, they definitely have. 100%. Yeah, just 100%. to look hard. Someone saw this movie. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. So, it is indeed a sad day for Electra. At a father's funeral, Matt warns Electra that, ver- that revenge is an empty path and asks her to stay with him. But Electra says there is no place for her in his world and leaves to take her vengeance. Ben Ulrich bribes the coroner to show him Nacho's body and he sees that the murder weapon is exactly the same as Matt Murdock's distinctive cane. So, lot, lot, a few things to cover here. Now, this is the scene... Now, you said that the worst scene so far was the <laughs> playground scene. I the, the, the playground scene uh, is so much worse than this, Will. It's so much worse than this. But but the evanescence kicked in at, during a sad moment, and I went, "Oh God, this is like they haven't really thought about like like." But that's just a bad music, song choice. Music everything about she said everything about that other scene sad. is just miscalculated and badly planned out and badly okay. executed, and and then they edit it together and they said yes. Let's say yes to this scene. This is this is what this film needs. It reminds me of something you said in a much earlier episode. I think we were talking about X Men First Class, and you were saying there's a bit where they just name off, they just say their names oh, one after God. the other. And yeah, you say, there's like ten yep. of them, and it's like, yep, someone got paid to do that. Someone got paid oh. to write that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that well. That still makes me laugh. So that was cringing. Also, Kevin Smith appears as the coroner because hey, why not have a Kevin you, Smith cameo? And the, ben and the, car- the, the coroner's name? Oh, what is was his Jack name? Kirby? <laughs> Jack oh, Kirby. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I did spot that. That was just. Uh. I did forget to mention back in the fights, uh, hmm. Devil Matt Jack Murdoch was battling uh, John Ramita, who is a. Well-respected Daredevil artist. Uh, I forgot to bring that up at the time. You know, we saw the the prize fight, fighting tonight. Devil, the devil, Jack the Devil Murdoch battling John Romita, who was a. They're finding lots of ways to cram these names in. Yeah, Jose they're cramming. I, I was about to say they they're cramming in all the villains and might as well cram loads of really deep references. So. It looks like Ben Ulrich has pretty much solved Daredevil's identity here because he's found the cane. Uh, I mean, what can you tell us about this character? Is he important in the Marvel comics? Is he is he a really good journalist? Uh, yes, I've, I, 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 he is. I'm going to say Ben Ulrich. That's how I've always thought of it in my head. But I might be Ulrich. wrong. I've never heard I've it said out L, loud. haven't I? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, ben Ulrich is the greatest reporter in all of comic books. And he is perhaps the best detective in the Marvel Universe, hands down. I think mm. there's, no, there's no question about that. He's introduced in, in the late 70s, pre... Uh, no, not pre-Frank Miller. No, it must be during Frank Miller then. He, he's introduced in the late 70s as a crime reporter for the Daily Bugle, 
where mm. Spider-Man works, who's investigating the kingpin of crime and trying to work out who it is and is Wilson Fisk, is it Wilson Fisk, is it connected to him? And mm. he becomes one of the top five, I would say, most important Daredevil characters of all time. He really launches himself up there, as well as playing a crucial supporting cast member role in Spider-Man and having vital appearances in other books like The Punisher. All those kind of street-level, you know, crime kind of based Manhattan um, titles. Ben is a, a becomes a, an important part of whether it's a a big part or a small part. Yeah, he cracks the kingpin case. And writes an expose on on Wilson Fisk, which puts his life in mortal danger, but outs Fisk to the general public. He works out um, Matt Murdock as Daredevil, and never says anything ever about it. He works out later that his colleague Peter Parker is Spider Man, and tells mm. him, "Pete, I've known like." For for years now, it's been very obvious to me. He Ooh. never publishes these stories. Um, he he works out. Um, he 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 discovers all of Norman Osborn's crimes as the Green Goblin, and writes this book, um, this this giant expose when Norman Osborn is dead, all about his crimes, and then Osborn turns out not to be dead, and disputes all of them, and as a there's like real problems for his career but then he pursues and and puts together another story to really expose Osborne as the Green Goblin and that ends up putting him behind bars he has this great tumultuous relationship with with J. Jonah Jameson which is all based around Jonah wants to sell papers and Ben wants to write good stories and Ben wants to write meaningful stories and and yeah he's he adds great Great shading to the Marvel universe. He's not a featured role. He has. He, he when, when they when they have all these major later later on, they have all these major crossovers like Civil War, which we talked about, Secret Invasion, and mm. um, and I think uh, Siege and things like that. And and there will be like a a monthly comic keeping you abreast of all the different things going on in all the different um because these crossovers affect pretty much every character in the Marvel universe. Mm. And they will always they'll use Ben as like a frontline reporter in these huge events and he's this character that takes us through all these incredible things that are happening like he was, you know, like a war reporter with Iron Man's side of the Civil War reporting on what Iron Man's you know, not necessarily his army, but what his group are doing, and you know, he's used in that respect. Very great shading he he adds to the Marvel universe, and and becomes even more prominent in in Brian Michael Bendis's groundbreaking um, Daredevil run in the in the two thousands, which we'll touch on uh, in our bonus episode, I believe. Oh, fantastic! I liked his um, portrayal in the in the TV series. I thought he was a, he was an even more important character in the Daredevil TV show. Yes, uh, well, I don't want to uh, spoil anything because some people may not have seen that one. That one's quite new, uh, so good. I don't want to say too much more about that. Uh, it's very good. It, yeah, the end. Yeah, de- <laughs> def- definitely, definitely watch it. So, anyway, just trying to find, just trying to find my place again. So later that evening, whilst hunting down Bullseye, 
Daredevil runs into a vastly different Elektra. Wearing martial arts gear and carrying weapons, Elektra attacks Matt, wanting revenge for her father's death. When she impales Daredevil through the shoulder with one of her side blades, she unmasks him and gazes at Matt in horror. Bullseye suddenly arrives and attacks both of them. Elektra attempts to fight him off but fails, and Daredevil can only watch helplessly with his radar sense as Bullseye kills Elektra. There was also uh, a scene, I forget which part it was, I put it, put the, I, I want to talk about it here. Um, he, he intimidates someone dressed well as Daredevil by putting them in a car and then trying to crash the car into a wall and then he reverses the car into another wall. And all I could think at the time was, he's blind, really blind. When has he ever learned <laughs> to drive a car? <laughs> a stick shift at yeah. that. I suppose so. It can't. It can't be that hard for him to work out, though, can it? With his senses. I, 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 yeah, I guess. But he handled a stick shift so well. I was going. Will that's... finds te- small technical inaccuracies in your favourite projects. I Join don't think Will this is anybody's favourite three-hour podcast. <laughs> as he says, um, actually. <laughs> Actually, that would be a really good uh, name for a podcast. Week. Well, actually, <laughs> the yeah. mansplaining podcast featuring lots of white men, <laughs> lots of white men, many with neck beards <laughs> and monster energy drink. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so uh, I uh, we're going to have to talk a bit about Electra, and I, I don't think they built Electra up enough to make this the tragic moment they wanted it to be. I don't think oh, 100%, she played a, yeah. Yeah, she, she, they, they kind of went, ah, she's hot and she's kind of fighty and then her dad dies, but she needs to... Oh, she didn't get revenge, she got killed as well. Never mind. It was like, that was it. That was Electra's presence in the film and I felt like this... this I, I felt like they needed more. Otherwise, they this had, pay um, off, Yeah. They had two scenes together before her dad died. <laughs> and yeah. then... She turns against him, and then she dies. She she did. They had four think... scenes together in the whole movie. I think doesn't feel like a main character. Feels like a secondary character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there aren't yeah. any. There are, I mean, it's a short. It's a short movie. Uh, I know it? we're doing a three-hour podcast on it, but there's, it's kind of yeah. It's like well, I don't know how long it is, but it's not a. It's not a particularly lengthy film. No, no, it's a pretty short film. It's. Uh... But yeah, it's it. It's, it... It should have been better. But anyway, it is... Okay, objectively, it's a sad and brutal end for Electra here. I mean, I take it she gets killed in the comics. And if so, does she get killed yeah. by Bullseye? Yeah. Does she get killed by Bullseye? Yeah, it, it, it's um, very similar. They, they they take a lot of the scenes and the and the dialogue from what actually happens in, in, in the comic books. Mm. Electra's on a very dark path at this point in, in Frank Miller's comics. Which we will perhaps save um, for when we cover her movie in its own right, because otherwise we've used it all up here and not saved it for her own. And she was, you know, the first female-led superhero Marvel movie, so that's something that we should definitely spend a bit of time on. Um, yeah. So, Bullseye. This all begins in the comic books when Bullseye is in prison and finds out that Elektra has taken his old job as the kingpin's chief assassin 
And so he, he, the, the fact he's been replaced by a woman is a huge insult to him because he's an idiot. So he gets out of prison and, and decides he's going to take his old job back by murdering Electra and, and thus proving he's you know the top assassin on the West Coast. And the, the lines in that movie are taken directly from the comic book. Um, you put up a good fight, you're pretty good, but me, I'm magic. Um, and he, he throws that. He throws a playing card that slices um, Electra's throat, and as she's mm. grabbing her her throat and she staggers forward, he stabs her with with her own distinctive sigh. And that shot of her being impaled by her, her sigh going all the way through and tenting out the back of her clothes. I'm going to send it to you now. That's a very yeah. very powerful, like iconic scene. It always makes the top 10 kind of lists um that that's Ooh, that picture on the right there but for me it's all the other panels next to it on the same page that are brutal and kind of harrowing um so it's completely silent electra is still alive from being stabbed she's bleeding out she's dying and this incredibly powerful and graceful person is now stumbling around and falling like a wounded animal and you can see Bullseye casually putting his jacket on yeah, as she's staggering yeah. off like an animal finding somewhere to go and die which is exactly what it's written to be he's mm. just casually putting his jacket on because he knows she's already dead she's not a threat there's something horrible about that and and then you see Electra staggering through the streets of New York bleeding out as passers-by just ignore her. The scenes are... They're so cruel. I know she's... a. I, I really think they had an impact on people who at the time, I don't know how much empathy and sympathy you had for Electra. She was a bounty hunter, an assassin. She did some stuff with the Kingpin. And yeah, she teamed up with Matt for a bit and they were lovers. But in the past, I don't know how much sympathy you had until this moment. I think these scenes are so cruel and jarring. I think it immediately inspires in the comic book reader sympathy for the character. And and again, like an animal looking for somewhere to die, she makes her way to Matt Murdock's house Mm. and dies on the steps of his house, of his brownstone walk-up thing. Um, And that's that's yeah. So they they take a lot from this, and this is the most powerful, memorable top ten moment in Daredevil history. So I can I can really see why it is transferred and why they wanted to make it the basis of the movie, and why they took scene composition and and and, and dialogue for it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a brutal bit. It looks like something out of the Watchmen comic rather than. Rather than uh, Marvel, that's really yeah, yeah mainstream Marvel in the in the eighties, man. Frank Miller is chain is absolutely changing the game. Um, the, the 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 idea that it was pretty much just Alan Moore who introduced mm. this um, postmodern adult contemporary vibe to comic books in the eighties is a bit mm. of a sham. Um, he certainly was leading, and there was there at the forefront. But you've got Miller doing a hell of a lot in a mainstream superhero book at the same yeah. time, and yeah. you've got you know Neil Gaiman pushing boundaries as well, and things like that. It's it's tough to look at that shot, mm. but anyway, 
we now go to the start of the film. The first scene of the film is shown again as a bloody and wounded daredevil enters the church intending to recuperate and recover his strength. Unfortunately, Bullseye tracks him down and the two battle ferociously across the church with Bullseye gaining the upper hand after discovering Daredevil's weakness to loud sound. After Bullseye manages to knock the air out of Daredevil, he raises a jagged metal pipe to kill him. Using his incredible senses, Daredevil hears a SWAT sniper preparing to shoot him from the neighbourhood building. Daredevil manoeuvres Bullseye so that the sniper bullet fires horizontally through both of Bullseye's hands, incapacitating him. Daredevil violently throws the assassin through a stained glass window and watches his body plummet all the way to the ground with grim satisfaction. Okay. Uh, I just realised as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm getting I, ready for a well, actually. Sorry. I'm actually... Well, actually... I was going to say... That was it meant to be on purpose that the bullet went through his hands and he had stigmata in there in the church? Yeah, com- yeah, completely. Yeah. He's yeah, he's yeah. in a he's in a Catholic cathedral in front of a stained glass window. He raises stigmata wounds in both hands. I don't know what they're trying to say. I don't think they're trying to say anything with it because otherwise you'd be saying that there's some sort of sacrifice Bullseye is making, which is not true. But is yes, he- they were trying to evoke that imagery. It looks like they were doing a juxtaposition when they thought they were doing subtext, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, no, I don't know if they were. I don't think. I don't I, think they were trying to do subtext. I just think. I just think it kind okay, of looks like I, they should be doing subtext. Yeah, I, I think that, and I, that's also the most poncy thing I've ever said. <laughs> I think they were trying to. Yeah. Anyway, uh, also, okay. Now, now here comes the well. Actually, but but closer as we can get. <laughs> Why did the sniper fire through one fire through a stained glass window and and get that? How did, oh how why why were they why were they shooting him? They were all ready to go in, and then the sniper fires through a stained glass window, which you can't really see. You can't see through stained glass window that clearly. But the answer to that is he must have been able to see clearly. They can't. It's not no, right. no, 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 no. People can't have radar sensors either. He must have been. A, he must have had a special. Admittedly, I don't know. How do you know a sniper rifle can't see through stained glass window well? Because I know you because of video see games. Stain- because of video games, will. Funny you say that because I just moved house. I'm across the road from a tur- church, and I do actually have a sniper rifle in the cupboard. So I could, if this was a video, I would be breaking the internet right now by proving you. Mostly wrong, but remember that Daredevil's wanted for a high high profile assassination, so that's ah, why there there's a sniper rifle like to kill him. But yeah, um, seeing through the glass window, I don't know. I yeah, yeah I, I won't complain about it any longer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I will, but let's let's talk about this uh, this very dark action set piece. I mean, it's a bloody fight in a cathedral. Is that something? Has that happened in the comic books? Because I mean, especially when you've mentioned that there's been been an arc where he deals with his Catholicism. I mean, does Daredevil have a violent threat with balls and thrown to his death? 
he must. His have Catholicism done. is is kind of more background. Uh, okay. it, 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 it's it's a lot of just he, he goes to confession. Um, it's a lot of his his um, his guilt. You discover that his mom kind of ran away and became a, a nun as well. So that that kind of feeds into how he feels about himself. Um, mm. Yeah, when 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 Daredevil confronts Bullseye right after so so. Bullseye murders Elektra in the comic books and Daredevil goes after him and he's like a man possessed. He he beats him savagely and then throws him off a building and Bullseye lands on a telegraph pole, back first on a telegraph pole and it shatters his, his spine and paralyzes him. Um... And yeah, that's that's how he kind of deals with him. But Daredevil is not through. Um, I'm just sending you something now. When uh, when he finds, he tracks down Bullseye to a prison hospital, and he breaks in and forces Ooh. Bullseye, who is paralysed, he forces him to play Russian roulette with him, with Daredevil. Ooh. There's a bullet in the chamber, and Matt is like. Matt is is borderline weeping. He is a he is like dead. Uh, Electra's death has ruined him, and he does not know what to do. And there's this long issue where they are playing. Well, they're playing. Bullseye has no choice. Matt points the gun under his own chin and to his own forehead, pulls a trigger, click, and then he points it at, at, at Bullseye. Pulls the trigger, and they go back and forth with this and this. Like breaks bullseye and and it haunts him and it remains, it it, it becomes, it sounds odd. In bullseye's mind, he's not really he, he has done stuff to mess with Daredevil, but it's like how dare Daredevil attack me like this and do something that's <laughs> so beyond the pale. So this this kind of this is psychological uh, uh, torture that and and physical you know breaking his spine that Daredevil puts him through. That becomes Bullseye's like ongoing reason for dealing out even more misery to Daredevil as we go forward. It, their relationship is doing horrible things to each other, punishing each other endlessly, um, and it becomes this this cycle. Um, mm. The the church, the cathedral scene mirrors a, a fight that they have in that, in that Kevin Smith story, Guardian Devil. Uh, that I mentioned earlier, which culminates in the, well, it doesn't culminate, but halfway through, there's a a brutal church fight. He murders some nuns and then threatens a baby, and then <laughs> he kills Karen Page with Daredevil's baton. And um, yeah, Ugh. Bullseye's. I think Bullseye's the most brutal. Bullseye's up there with Sabretooth in terms of Sabretooth and Pe- Wolverine, petty. Bullseye and Daredevil. Well, well, this just just brutal and just like. Um, torturing another human being as much as possible. It's awful. <laughs> but he's really, really brutal with it. Horrible. Horrible man. Horrible man. But anyway, the end game is in sight. Daredevil. Is the end game is, is in sight. The, the end game. Flipping heck. We've got like all of phase three to do. Nay, <laughs> <Bloody> banter. <laughs> Not that end game. Not that end game. Daredevil then goes to Kingpin's headquarters for a climactic battle. 
Despite his appearance, the kingpin turns out to be a powerful fighter. He overpowers Daredevil throughout most of the fight and eventually unmasks him. Daredevil loses sight of Kingpin and bursts a pipe so that the rushing water would allow his radar hearing to see his enemy and bring the tyrant to his knees. When Daredevil is about to deal the final blow, he contemplates what it means to be a hero and offers the Kingpin a sardonic smile as he awards him his life. He informs the Kingpin that he is aware that he won't be imprisoned indefinitely and as he leaves, tells him that he will always be waiting for him. He offers one final thought before departing and orders the Kingpin to stay out of Hell's Kitchen. When Kingpin threatens to reveal Daredevil's identity, Daredevil taunts him in return with the fact that Kingpin got beaten by a blind man, which would make him the laughing stock of the underworld. Kingpin swears vengeance against him. I mean, you would just not fight Michael Clark Duncan. Even if he wasn't trained, you wouldn't fight him. He is scary looking. He is just beef. Absolute beef, the man. I don't think he's scary looking, but he looks like he can handle himself, yeah. He he looks like the kind of person you'd break your arm just punching. Especially in this movie. He really really bulked up for this movie. Um, They they asked him if he wanted to play Daredevil again, uh, play, you know, Kingpin again. And he said that he would, but he, he he would not put on all the extra mass to play the character. He said he wanted to play a stripped-down version and perhaps have something in the storyline to explain that. But I'm going to have yeah. to look at pictures of Michael Clark Duncan all evening to see what see differences in weight. Well, <laughs> you do you, boo. You do you, I, however you want to spend, spend your, your evenings. <laughs> so we discussed his debut appearance in our Spider-Man 2 episode, obviously. But this seems... The best place, to, the best place and time to discuss Kingpin. I think it is. You're right. Yeah. Um, like Daredevil, he he. It wasn't until the the 80s that that he received this character redefining chapter, which mm. breathed new life into him. He was a Spider-Man villain, uh, a regular human who was a criminal kingpin, but he wasn't like a gritty down to earth character all his men were super villains and all his crimes yeah. were super crimes involving lasers and death traps and you know a machine that can swap minds and you know super powered henchmen he had this trick walking cane that did you know shot gas or lasers or, or, or something like that um by the end of the 70s he sold his criminal empire and retired that was a spider-man story off he goes and and then Frank Miller gets his hands on him in the 1980s because he's writing a comic book series that Marvel don't care about because the public don't care about it. So he can use villains that no one cares about, right? And he doesn't mm. have to use just Daredevil villains if he doesn't want to. And to Frank Miller, this idea that within these super villains... There is a character that isn't that is established and people recognize and know and is distinctive visually and has a cool name, but is a regular person and is a criminal. He that's attractive to him because he knows what he wants to do. He wants yeah. to build Daredevil around crime noir and, and and establish some of that. So that's who he he gravitates to and brings 
brings into the, to the comic to to use and he becomes a far more captivating character when he's when he's Miller makes him grounded like a like a real life mob boss that audiences were seeing in the movies in in mm. the 80s and early 90s um you think of you know your your goodfellas and 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 your your movies like that they they've got these power hungry psychopaths all the way through them and he wants to own everything and 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 kill everyone that gets in his in his way and and Frank Miller hasn't become the principal villain of his Daredevil run and ever since then that was so impactful and so popular that it never went away Wilson Fisk stopped being a <laughs> Spider-Man villain and yeah. became in everyone's minds a Daredevil villain the arch the arch enemy no one of the other None of the other earlier Daredevil villains from the sixties or the seventies are regarded as his arch enemy. None of them. It's 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 Kingpin, um, uh, and he's he's like untouchable in 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 in, De- in in Miller's run. He arrives with like he owns legitimate businesses. He has city officials and judges and cops on the payroll F- for messing with. Fisk's plan is a storyline called Born Again. Hmm. For messing with the Kingpin's plans, Fisk completely shatters Murdoch's life. Oof. We'll touch on it more in our bonus episode. Yeah, but he yeah. finds out Daredevil's real identity. He has him struck off Oof. as a lawyer. He makes him broken, penniless, blows up his office, and then when when Matt Murdoch confronts him, Fisk beats him half to death, locks him in the back of a taxi cab and dumps it in the Hudson River so that he'll drown and it looks like an accident. He ruins I mean he shatters his life Um, and it is cold it's calculating but it's real, it's realistic, it's believable there's Mm. not a superpower in sight for it and it's you know a real big part of redefining Daredevil uh, in in that era. Sadly, once Frank Miller leaves Daredevil, Fisk kind of goes back to being a bit more of a traditional supervillain. He, he he's involved in a lot more wider Marvel stuff. He joins Hydra at one point, and it all goes a bit. <laughs> it's all very nineties. Um, yeah. But then, thankfully, in the in the two thousands, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, takes him back to where his character really belongs, and and write, writes one of the greatest Daredevil chapters, and, and kind of involves the Kingpin in that. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So it looks like uh, it looks like it looks like it's back to normal. So the next morning, Matt and his law partner are drinking coffee at the shop, reading newspaper, reading the newspaper on Fisk. Matt turns to the door when a woman enters at the shop. In a scene similar to the one introducing Electra, Matt says he's going for a walk and leaves. He goes to the roof of his apartment and finds a copy of Electra's necklace hanging with Braille on it. So this seems to su- suggest that Electra isn't dead, and we know she comes back in another movie. I mean, is that just Hollywood wanting to make more money, or does she come back in the comic books like most people in Marvel do? <laughs> it's interesting because... Um... Electra at the time was really regarded as a Frank Miller character. Mm. And it felt like if he was going to kill her off, it would almost be bad form for anyone else to bring her back 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't own the character. When you when you work for Marvel as a writer or an artist, everything you come up with and create is owned by them. So you don't have any yeah. say if someone wants to then use her and put her in the Avengers or whatever, or make a Spider-Man's new girlfriend, you've got no say in it. Um, but it would have felt like bad form if anyone else did bring her back. Uh, but it was it was Frank Miller who who wanted to do it, and it happened during his run, and it was quite natural. Well, not natural, but it was it was not like ten years down the line he decided to return to the character. He really wanted to have this character still knocking around. The hand who uh, Electra belonged to for a long period of time are a mystic warrior death cult, <laughs> and they are not about to let their greatest assassin go to waste by something as silly as death. So they, they have this ancient ritual that they can perform to bring the dead back to life and, and bind them into service to the hand forever. Uh, and that's what they do. They, they steal Electra's body and go about this ritual. Um, Daredevil mm. uh, teams up with Electra's former mentor before Stick, one of the chased called Stone. They have very basic oh, names Willow. like that. Stone and Daredevil go to stop the ritual, but instead they end up completing the ritual and bringing her back to life. But before they do that, Matt kind of gets involved in this psychic, mystical ceremony, and he's able to purge the corruption of the hand from Electra's soul before she comes back and returns um so she's she's back from the dead but she immediately flees the scene and begins to travel the world wanting to get as far away from new york and fisk and matt as possible to try and find her own place right in, in the world and and that's not the end of her but but that's that's how she comes back wow i i, I remember remember it in the tv show because they do a similar thing yeah, I, I, and I was like, ah, oh, it's magic. It's all magic. There we go. So. Well, hang on. But, <laughs> right, but on. that dismissive said, tone said... and waving of the jazz hands makes it feel like a deuce ex machina. Like, all of a sudden, characters with no connection to magic came in and went, magic, and she's back. And that's not what happens. The hand are established from the beginning as having mystical ties and being a mystical death cult. So it makes sense that that happens it is woven into the plot and not introduced at the last minute to get over a a a, a device they couldn't think of how to get over that's me I rolling think, my eyes everybody no 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 you, you misunderstood my tone I, I wasn't taking the mick out of the uh the the the, the apparent that what i seem to be a deus ex machina i just don't like magic <laughs> <laughs> magic <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. No, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, will Daredevil be exposed? At his office, Ben Urich is writing his latest story, an expose on who Daredevil really is. He's about to print it, but then, out of respect for Daredevil's engagement, decides to delete his story. He exits the New York post office into the night outside and sees Daredevil standing at the rooftop. Urich whispers, Go get him, Matt to which Daredevil nods his head and takes off, leaping off the building to fight another hoodlum. Hoodlum! Hoodlum! Um, a bad hoodlum. man. Hoodlum! <laughs> a hooligan. What? 
I, I, I hope he didn't tell his editor that he's got a really big scoop coming up when he read that story because that must have that must have been embarrassing. But you know, that's I, the I can't I've gotta say I've got something to say about that. Yeah. But we've got to save it for that bonus episode. We'll save it for the bonus episode. Uh guys. Imagine we'll if J. Jonah Jameson imagine if J. Jonah Jameson found out what Ben Urich knew that he didn't use as a story. Imagine how that would Ooh. go. That's he 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 he. Oh man, he would he would lose his hair. Uh, <laughs> his hair would go. So it seems like a lot of people know Daredevil's secret identity, including a guy whose job it is to report things. Is his identity compromised this badly in the comic books? Ah, I mean, more than any other Marvel hero. Daredevil's secret identity goes through the ringer. I, I, you can point at like Tony Stark, like revealing that he's Iron Man, l- mm. very late on in in his in his uh, history, but no one goes through as many ups and downs with it as Daredevil does. With yeah, with virtually everyone in his life finding out at some point or another, and with the misery that causes, with the kingpin finding out, and that is really just the beginning there there's so much to go into and and there's about there's so many classic stories that that that, that touch on this and deal with with daredevil's identity that we don't have time looking at how much we're clocking in now and and Mm. and and i guess that's why we're gonna we're gonna cover it in our full length bonus episode over on patreon um a week after this comes out that's where we're going to be dealing with the dicey dilemma of daredevil's secret identity Oh, I see. Yeah, I was about to say you did a lot of D work there. Very nice. Oh, I do a lot of D work. Will listen, man. <laughs> I I am known for doing a hell of a lot of D work. I I'm gonna giggle like a small child for the rest of the evening. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here. We're at the end of the film. Halfway through the film's credits, police are guarding a hospital room. Inside the room. Bullseye, now heavily bandaged, is annoyed by a fly. Off camera, the fly is struck with a syringe on the wall. Bullseye says one word out of the side of his mouth. Bullseye. <sighs> so you said he gets thrown off a building in the comic books. Does he ever return? What do you think? <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't they? Do you remember from the X-Men 2 episode, uh, you won't remember, because why would you? But we, we, we mentioned that the master of adamantium is this Japanese crime lord called um, Lord Darkwind, the father <laughs> of, of Deathstrike. And in the comic books, he's the one that is able to... He's the only one that's mastered the adamantium bonding process. Um, mm. and, and while Bullseye is paralysed in the Marvel comics, Lord Darkwind kidnaps him and applies that adamantium bonding to his Ooh. spine to repair his shattered spine, and that mm. makes Bullseye even stronger than ever. Ooh. And after the Russian roulette incident, he's more crazy and dangerous than ever, and he does return to make Daredevil's life an absolute misery. Uh, he joins a team of Black Ops supervillains, who who work for the government very much like Suicide Squad? Yeah, that sounds. But like they have a military bent to them. They're called the Thunderbolts, <laughs> and they are ran by Norman Osborn, who is also serving time. 
And then during that storyline we talk about Dark Reign, mm. when Norman Osborn basically becomes the new Nick Fury and puts together his own team of Avengers, Bullseye becomes an Avenger. Eh. He disguises himself to the public and dresses up under a mask with a bow and arrow as a guy you might know called Hawkeye. <laughs> uh. And that is part of Norman Osborn's Dark Avengers team that the general public think are heroic Avengers. And there's Bullseye, the mass-murdering psychopath, waving for the cameras and um, doing as he's told. And he oh, uses no. this protection of public... Uh, 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 this protection, not of public anything, but of, but of um, the utter protection of being Norman Osborn, the new Nick Fury's right-hand man, to launch a very twisted, brutal attack on, on, on Daredevil. He... Um, he 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 attacks Daredevil and then during the fight he reveals he's wired an apartment block in Hell's Kitchen to explode. Ooh. And he, he tries to do that classic supervillain thing of you've got a choice, either keep beating me up or go and save those people. Daredevil is not one to be trifled with in this situation, and he just does not like he hears him, he just does not hear him. He is he has a bloodlust, Daredevil does, and he just mm. keeps punching and fighting and punching Bullseye until that apartment building blows up and 100 people get murdered Ooh. in the collapsing building. Ooh, and bad. Daredevil like, kind of snaps out of his rage and sees what's happened, and he's like spiritually and emotionally broken inside, and Bullseye laughs as one of Norman Osborn's helicopters arrives and picks him up and he is like shrouded in this protection that, that keeps him guarded from all the repercussions of a horrible thing like that. But Bullseye is not done with destroying Murdoch and, and, and taking shots at him every chance he gets. One day we will get round to covering Norman Osborn's dark reign. Um, something which is actually... Uh, now that I come to remember it from 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 reading about Ben Urich, Dark Rain is the name of this period of time in comic books, and it's on the on the front cover of a lot of comic books uh, when Norman Osborn's in charge. But in storyline, it is applied to Norman Osborn in a an expose written by Ben Urich. He writes, "This is the beginning of Norman Osborn's Dark Rain, or Dark Rain, the the rise to power of Norman Osborn, and tries mm. to." get people to get him out of office. So Uric then with another great big contribution to the Marvel Universe. He is, he so, is a uh, very, very good character. We get to the end of the movie. Will, you have our undying thanks and love for taking us through uh, a lot of twists and turns in that one. It felt longer on the, on the read-through. There's a heck of a lot to cover and going on. I think to your point... All those extra um, kind of villains really meant that there was an awful lot to be done without an awful lot being achieved. It muddied up. Um, it was too much chefs. Sense. Too much chefs. Too many chefs. And, uh, you know, uh, off camera, before we started recording, you brought up a really great point about the end of this movie and how it felt like an MCU. Like the start <laughs> of something in the MCU. Yeah, first post-credit sequence, or rather mid-credit sequence, so that was interesting. That's amazing. 
That is amazing. Mm. And it is, yeah. You've got Kevin Feige is involved in this film, as he is with quite a lot of these pre-MCU Marvel projects. But that's you're absolutely right. This is the first time we are we're kind of seeing that after credit scene. And it is a bit like in Hulk or mm. you know something like that when the person you think is gone and done oh no they're back and they're um, you know it's it's not over just yet and mcu has ruined it is- it's ruined credits for me every <laughs> film i watch i'm watching till the end yeah. of the credits just in case well we might have we might have been getting an early version of the mcu had daredevil been a success yeah, we we've yeah. got a, a, po- a post credit scene De- uh, Bullseye is definitely going to come back. Wilson Fisk is going to come back, and mm. we get um, Electra spinning off into her own movie. So there's a possibility there that that this kind of Daredevil franchise could have gone in some interesting ways. Um, but alas, it was not to be. No. Um, so what then, Will, would be your final thoughts on this 2003 offering? The pre-MCU, pre-Marvel Studios offering of Daredevil. Outstandingly average. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, it, it, it had a lot of... I think it had a lot, a lot of interesting things for us to think about in terms of its tone. It was a hell of a lot darker than I remembered. And I think it really did... It, it, it wasn't necessarily a love letter, but it really did draw a hell of a lot from, from that. 80s series as mm. much as visually it took from Quesada and Kevin Smith's uh, Guardian Devil little series but it was it was it was it, you nailed it right at the start when you said it is this mix of the the 2000 and whatever Spider-Man movie yeah. and the 1980s Tim Burton Batman it's bob on for what they were going through down to that yeah. scene which I forgot to bring up when we talked about it that scene where the cops are standing around Saying to Ben Urich, Daredevil, that's an urban myth. There ain't no such yeah. thing as the Daredevil. I was like, that that feels like it is dialogue taken straight from Tim Burton's movie. Yeah, yeah. It it felt exactly like that. What was it? At Knox in, in Batman. Yeah, yeah. Knox. Yeah. <laughs> and um before we finish things off then, I'd like to take a trip into one of my favourite parts of the show. <laughs> We've uh, talked an awful lot about the 1980s mainly, delved a little bit into the 60s and 70s. Will, what is the favourite thing you've learnt, your favourite slice of trivia from this journey through Daredevil? Stilt Man. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the Ninja Turtles. I'm amazed at Stilt Man. And there you go. Um, he was once exploded by the Punisher, who. <laughs> Never even, he never <laughs> saw him. He just saw these two stilts in front of him. So he took out a rocket launcher and just fired it up and blew him up. <laughs> and that was brilliant. the death of Stiltman. Um, and Stiltman, the mantle of Stiltman, the great honourable legacy of Stiltman, was taken up by a female version of Stiltman. Uh, what do you think the female version of Stiltman was called? Uh, st- stilt Lady. Nope. Lady Stiltman. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Stiltman. That's the best name in the history of comics. <laughs> All I can think now is Captain is, is Dr. Colossus from The Simpsons with his Colossus boots. <laughs> he was a rank. Yeah, very amateur. similar. Yeah. 
very, very <laughs> similar. Um, before we close off, uh, I've got that reading list ready for you. Uh, Cody uh, said he was definitely looking out for it, and a lot of other people give me hell on the episodes where I forget it. Before we go any further with the reading list, we have a very important thing we do need to say and remind you, please, please, please don't use Amazon. Um, Amazon will be the death of comic book shops, and the death of comic book shops will be the death of comic books. Amazon um, critically uh, undercharge and thus underpay for the comic books that they do buy in and sell on, so not enough money is going to the uh, to the, the comic book industry. And I know that Marvel is owned by Disney and all of that, but hey, listen... Uh, one of my favourite comic book titles was cancelled in the last couple of weeks because sales were bad, and that's awful. And I don't want to see that happen to things like Daredevil. The new Daredevil series is amazing. If you can get your hands on it, the current run is really, really good. Um, so check out your local comic book shops. And if you're looking for a reading list, if you search for Daredevil by Frank Miller, there are a lot of great paperback collections of that run. Um, that's an awful lot of what we've said and talked about today here being great has been that that run and it's inspired this movie and very very much inspired the, the Netflix series so if you, you look for Daredevil by Frank Miller there's like volume 1, volume 2 in the paperback collections of that run you can also get a big omnibus but I, I, I imagine that's really expensive um, of that series for the Kingpin's greatest moment and Daredevil's darkest hour and something that we're going to be discussing in the bonus episode next week, check out Born Again, Frank Miller, Daredevil, Born Again. I can also recommend um, Daredevil Man Without Fear, which is Frank Miller's uh, like year one reboot of Daredevil's origin from, from 1993, making it a lot more gritty and adding mm. that stick element, and you see Elektra for the first time, you meet the first person that Daredevil accidentally nearly kills, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> If you want to check out the more traditional superhero stories, your best bet and cheapest avenue is to search for the Marvel Essentials Collection, which are cheap reprints of the 60s and 70s stories. You can get hold of the Stanley original run there. Very, very different to this movie. Very, very different to the Netflix series and to kind of modern interpretations of the, of the character. There is very much a pre-Frank Miller and a post-Frank Miller when it comes to this character. Um, but that's what you can do to check it out. We're not going to leave you alone for a whole week, though. Willie P is on the Twitch. Mm. Yes, um, I throughout. am. How, how do we, what have you been doing in this last week, Will? Uh, well, obviously with the house move, it's been a bit uh, tricky. But I have been playing... Uh, I've been addicted. I'm going to have to play a different game at some point because I'm too addicted to this one. No Man's Sky, where you explore the universe with a spaceship. It's a really good game. And I'm, and I'm firing off the bants and all cylinders while playing this. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I don't know what I'm going to be playing uh, soon. Maybe something more action-packed. But you can find me at www.twitch.tv slash willpreston87. Come by, follow me, maybe even subscribe if you can, but no worries if not. Just come in and join the bants. Join the bants. Yeah. Um, don't forget we want to... Uh, we want to... Um hear from you so if you fire off an email and how you've liked the episode or any of the episodes to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at marvel versus and for bonus content including a full length feature length 
bonus episode all about Daredevil's secret identity, which will be dropping next week. Head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Sign up for the top tier. The £10 tier is what gets you access to everything, everything on Patreon that we've got, including all of our bonus episodes and including that early VIP access to new episodes. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel comics and movies? Don't forget you can get more content at patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel. Thank you.